On October 30th, 2019, Game 7 of the World Series, two friends sat down to record a podcast on Martin Scorsese's lone Best Picture winner. Months later, it would premiere as the pilot of Best Picture Cast. Tonight, November 1st, 2022, Game 3 of the World Series. Three years and two days later, the same two friends return to The Departed. Welcome to Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and revolving co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who should have won podcast. We're here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at our email, which is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Our socials are at bestpicturecast. And we are back. We are way back. Back to the beginning. Back where it all started. Literally in the same seat. That's right. I have next to me my first ever co-pilot in this thing, in the pilot, Artie B. Artie. Kieran, I am in disbelief that it is three years later and we are still doing this. Three years and two days. It's unbelievable. It's, and, and that wasn't even, I mean, it was, it was loosely planned, but wasn't, we weren't like, we need to get the exact date right. And we just, I looked at it, like I looked up, well, when was the seventh game of the World Series in 2019? I'm like, oh, October 30th. That's like two days ago. Yeah, it's 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 weird how this lined up so perfectly, and we're in the we're the we're in the studio the Departed was recorded in, which is the only time we've ever used this studio. That's exactly right. So we, this is now the second time and we haven't. I don't think I've been back in this room since that recording. I um, have. Oh no, you know what? Um, we watched Speed Two here when you were prepping for Rewind uh, twenty five fifty two. I, I watched uh, me and you watched Speed Two with with your daughters. That's right, <laughs> with my daughters they're running around. Yeah, they were playing, running away from the movie, uh, like we should have been. But yeah, so we're we're back in this studio. It's the first time we we've been back here to record. It's an odd feeling, my friend. It's it is, and after re listening to the episode today, it's amazing that we're still going after three years. <laughs> that was a bit of a rough, a very rough around the edges pilot. It's amazing that that even made it to air is what, is what I'm wondering. I'm also amazed that I still get called to do these. <laughs> well, one <laughs> we thing spent that... uh, several months debating if we needed to re-record the end of the episode due to 
sobriety related issues. Yeah, I was. I think I was. Uh, I was so frustrated that I didn't even listen to the second half of it because. And then when I finally did, I'm like, all right, we don't need to re-record. Let's just. I can clean this up. And, and it was four months after recording that it aired, so it's yeah, sat dormant. Right. Yeah. So we recorded that at the the day before Halloween in 2019, and it it debuted February 1st, 2020. I think was the debut date. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so it was. It would. It took me a little while to figure out how to edit if it was even something I'd be able to clean up and edit. Fortunately, it was, and it's out there. And it's. I think to this date, still the most listened to episode. It's probably lost us more listeners than any other. Yeah, episode. imagine, imagine how many we would have had if it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing that that struck me with the episode right out of the gate is how quickly we told everyone what we were drinking. It was literally like I'm Kieran B and I'm drinking this and I'm Marty B and you can hear the the infancy of our current segments in that episode, but they're not even segmented. It's just part of one long stream of consciousness. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, in honor of that, I have a little surprise for you here, RDP. Uh, you didn't. I got a little you gift saved for you. a Montauk Session IPA. I have the beer that I'm drinking here today. It's extinct. How it did... is discontinued, and it is none other than the Montauk Session Ale. I've been saving it for this date. That's incredible. This is what I was drinking on, on that day, and this is this could be the last one on Long Island, uh, much to most, much certainly to Joey R's chagrin. But I'm sure he has a closet full of six-packs. But that's not all I brought. Oh, God, you brought a high lie. I also have oh. a high lie IPA. So Christ. while the Montauk Session has been discontinued, the highlight has been discontinued from your life, I believe, already, right? Yeah, You've sworn off of this beer. And it's not even just like ABV, because it's a normal ABV for me. It's something about that beer really gets me fucked up and gives me a bad headache. Well, for tradition's sake, Artie, this is my gift to you. All right. Thanks. That's the highlight. So if you want to crack it open and cheers with me here. All right. Oh, a little foamy here. It's been shaking around in your trunk for a while. All right. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. All right. Cheers. Three years. Wow. Oh, yeah. More great radio. We've come a long way. Oh, we really have. We really have. So You know, the beer segment was just a quick gloss over in the first time. <laughs> now you hear us rustling around. You hear us drinking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we plan to uh, to go back to our roots here. It's like uh, like the movie Just Friends where he becomes like this cool guy and then goes back to his hometown and he's a loser again. So that's that'll be that'll be us <laughs> a, after a few beers here. Uh, yeah, so just to, I guess to clarify what we're doing here, if we haven't made it clear enough, these are our return to episodes. And we're going to, obviously we did things a little differently back then. There were only two people on an episode. So we want to kind of recreate the magic a little bit there and recreate the combos and talk about the movies. These are movies that we've gone through them on the rankings episodes and we've given our opinions on them throughout the years. We haven't really sat down and deep dived them specifically until that very beginning, that very raw format of the show. And the awards have changed and some of the format of the show has changed. So we're going to revisit that and talk about how this movie's evolved over the last three years and what our relationship has been. And I should say, too, uh, we're, we're going to bring in a guest at the end of this to kind of take us to task. And the guest has listened to the episode and watched the movie, and we would have no idea what his opinion is going to be on things. So this is going to be like a, like a, like a, like a WFAN call-in show to kind of get us roasted a little bit here. I'm sure he thinks very highly of me. <laughs> Especially if he, uh, if he finished the podcast. This is kind of cool, though, because it's, it's like, it's Twitter. We, we know him through Twitter. Mm-hmm. So... We never met him, but we could still say harsh things to each other with the security blanket of not being in the same room. 
Just like Twitter, <laughs> except we're looking at them. So we're going to get to that a little later on in the podcast. I should say, too, we have the World Series Game 3 on. When we recorded this, it was Houston Astros versus Washington Nationals in Game 7. And here we have the Houston Astros against a different NL East opponent, the Philadelphia Phillies. Kieran, who do you root for in a situation like that? I can't root for the Phillies. I'm, I'm anti-Philadelphia. So I'm sorry, our, our listeners out there in Philly. I don't like your teams, so I'm not going to root for you. Uh, I'm okay with Houston here. I'm in the same boat. There's something about Philadelphia. I, I just can't do it. You also went to college down near, in, at least in that territory. It was Delaware, but it was that territory. It's that region. All the yeah. games on TV were Eagles, fans, yeah. Flyers. So like, even when Brady played the Eagles in the in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. I rooted for the Patriots. Yeah, well. Can't root for the Eagles. Yeah, I, I think I did as well. Okay, so I, I want to ask you this now, Artie. Since we recorded the Departed podcast, if you can, just roughly, have you seen the movie since? Not counting for the preparation for this podcast. Have you seen it since? How many times, if you can if you can answer that, how many times have you seen it? What, what's gone on with your viewing in Departed since we recorded the episode? It's on TV pretty regularly, like, compared to other Best Picture winners. So I've definitely caught it at parts and left it on. Uh, probably three or four over the last three years. And then the rewatch for this. I don't sit, I'm not going to sit down and just throw it on front to end, um, especially with all the other movies I have to watch. Yeah. But uh, every time, it's it really is one of those movies. Every time I catch it, I leave it on. Yeah. For me, I watched it about six months after we recorded, just about exactly six months. And. By then, we probably had, who knows, probably like 10, 10 episodes or so under the belt. So it was it was a little trippy for me to like now watch the one that we started off with. I have not seen it since then. So it's been two years, basically, since I've, you know, two and a half years since I've revisited. Now, there have been times, like you, like you mentioned, it's on TV a lot. So I've seen parts, I've seen scenes, but not beginning to end. And I put it on last night, man. After watching uh, another Best Picture winner that I had to watch of the exact same length that was not, uh, as you like to say from our pilot episode, as rewatchable. Uh, what did you watch? Well, it'll be next week's episode. We'll just leave it at that. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin or tease any any opinions on things. Then, but you'll you'll see exactly what episode I'm talking about next week. But I threw The Departed on, and wow. About 20 minutes in, I'm like, now this is a movie. I mean, it's just, and, you know, we're going to go through hits and misses here in, in a segment that we call the uh, Battleship Hits and Misses in honor of uh, Rihanna's Battleship, which has be kind of become a running joke for us. But one of the biggest hits I have right out of the gate is how many times you hammered home how rewatchable it is, and boy, is that true. It's a really unique film in the sense that the craftsmanship of an expert filmmaker is all over this movie. But at the same time, it's so fucking fun and mm. just lighthearted that it feels like a movie as well, not just like a film film. So it's got, it checks a lot of boxes. It absolutely books too. You know, you're, you're watching this thing and time just flies. Absolutely. And, and yeah, we've covered plenty of movies which is the exact opposite. You know, you're looking at your watch, you're like, I'm only 11 minutes into this thing. I feel like I've been here for six hours. Also, the intro just hits the ground running with like basically a montage. Mm. And then by the time it says The Departed on screen, the title, so much has happened. Yeah. That I'm like, oh, that's right. This is the beginning. Like, <laughs> we're just getting started. 
Yeah. And, you know, another thing that I noticed too, that I just, maybe I took for granted is how many, how many great songs there are in this thing. It's not just um, shipping up to Boston and the Rolling Stones and the ones that you know. It, there's a bunch of little, there's like a Beach Boys song in there. Uh, there's a bunch of little, uh, uh, there's a Janis Joplin song in there. There's little moments of all these songs and it's like, God, you know, the, the music in this movie is just killer. And that we said it, a hundred thousand times on the pilot episode, but the sound editing, the way the music fades in and out of mm-hmm. the scenes to allow for dialogue is that's a really hard skill uh, for a director to master to do that and not have it be disruptive to the flow of the movie. Yeah. He nails and, it. And Marty certainly is, is adept at that. Also Howard Shore's score is very underrated in this. You know, he really, he, he, he finds a way to bridge the gap between the, the popular music that they choose in this and kind of kind of fill that fill that with like like a paste of a score right it really works well yeah hodgepodge yeah okay so hits and misses that we had from the last podcast that we did this so we, we've kind of each I think we, we did it so we're gonna we're analyzing our own points right we didn't crossfire. Or do you have a couple of crossfires as well? Uh, some are the podcast as a whole, and okay. some are me. Okay. Okay. Good. I, I have mostly me. mostly me. I have a couple of yous, uh, but mo- it's mostly just me evaluating me, and 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 more, when we say that, we mean our, basically our our points. Like, uh, like do we do we still feel that way when we made that point that evening? Has that stuck with us? Where we kind of talking out of our ass a little bit you know we're gonna we're gonna hold ourselves under check a little bit see which takes are, are still hot takes and which takes are, are freezing cold some of mine are performance related as well so we'll say we also we listened to the podcast that was an interesting experience we did a little uh we basically were live texting each other today while we were listening to it. i was about 11 minutes behind kieran on my re-listen of the podcast so he was just ahead of me and our text conversation during the listen of that was just a blast yeah i mean I, by the end i was laughing out loud at stuff and, and not totally. and not in a flattering way at, at either of us no <laughs> but um before we get into into that of it this viewing of the movie were there certain things that stood out to you that you highlighted that y- you didn't feel we covered in the first part of the podcast I don't know. I I didn't. Nothing that jumped out at me because, like, when we did the episode three years ago, I have seen the movie so many times in my life and had seen it quite a bit before we recorded. A lot before we recorded. So I'm. I really feel like we touched on the most important parts of it. Yeah. Okay. I have a big. I have a big one. Um. I'll I'll save it for the the segment, but just a, a reading of the movie this time that I didn't necessarily have in previous times. And oh, that's interesting. I'm yeah. excited to hear that. I will say one thing that, that stood out to me. This guy's fucking kidding Bryce me. Hyper, Bryce, Bryce, Bryce Harper. Harper. Just, you know what sucks, though? I like Bryce Harper. <laughs> one thing that stood out to me this time was just how incredible the performances are in this movie across the board. And I just, I just simply, at this point in my life, I just don't agree with the criticisms of any of these performances. Whether it's Jack, whether it's Leo, whether it's Vera Farmiga, to be honest with you, I, I I think they are all great. Matt Damon, I think they're all great in this. I really don't think there's a bad performance in this movie. That was just one thing that really took me back. So you've you've come full circle on Barrigan. Uh, Barrigan. Well, you know, we'll we'll get to that because I do have uh, that. Well, you know what? I think maybe we'll 
we'll start heading in that in that hits and misses direction there. Right before that, though, how was the general experience of listening to the pilot podcast for you? Uh, it started fine and got very uncomfortable about an hour and ten minutes in when I started to depart <laughs> from my sobriety. And then it became a little bit more of a tough listen. I don't, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to hear yourself like fumbling around with words and, and repeating yourself. And, be, and was, beer cans. It was like, imagine someone <laughs> recorded you like a night at a bar at 2 a.m. and then played it for you. Like, you're not going to like it. We had a, a lot of growing pains that evening. I mean, there's obvious technical things that you, the, the, we're not going to get into here. It's, you, you know, if you listen to it, it just makes for a boring podcast to talk about them. But I mean, as, as, Someone who has was learning on the fly how to record, how to edit. I look back and cringe at a lot of little decisions. But I do need to say, man, we literally had, we had never been on a podcast before. We just pushed play and went. So from that standpoint, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. And, you know, there's th- like that first eight minutes are cringy for me. Like I'm the opposite for you. Like by the end, I, I'm, I get a kick out of it. You know, because it's, yeah. it goes more to you being on the hot seat. In the beginning, I'm just I can see how uptight and, and nervous I am and. It took me a little while to get loose. There were points at the uh, at the end of the episode where I could hear Kieran debating while I ranted on about nonsense for the <laughs> fifth or sixth time again. I could hear him silently debating. Should I just call this right now? Should we just stop recording? <laughs> and I text this to Kieran and he goes, wow, it's absolutely going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you it said was... it too. Like you, you think you might have been a little too uptight on that first episode. Oh, I was absolutely way too uptight. From the beginning to end, you know, I, I I loosened up a little in the middle. I think one of the concerns was you didn't know, I didn't know what the edit, editing process was going to be like. So I don't know if if whatever was happening was going to destroy everything we just did or not. You know, there was no, I didn't know if I could take out little things or if, it, you know, it was completely foreign to me. So we had an iPad with no microphone equipment just sitting on a, a an arm of a couch between us and we just talked. So yeah, there was same couch we're sitting on now. There was, Right, but I have a microphone in my face and I can't move my head. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was us like leaning back, leaning forward. Every time we picked up a, a can, you could hear me kick over a thing, a bunch of beer cans at one point. <laughs> it was like uh, Homer when he gets pulled over in The Simpsons. Right. They're like, have you been drinking? He's like, no, license and registration. Or is it family guy? They're like, license and registration. He slides over to the glove box and you hear all these cans <laughs> rustling by his feet. <laughs> Okay. All right. So this is a segment we call Battleship Hits and Misses. We're going to kind of just go back and forth. We'll start with we'll start with hits. Uh, the points that we made that we are going to double down on, things that we're looking at and we're saying, okay, yeah, that's I, I still feel that way. I'm happy I made that point then. I That's the point I'm going to make again today. We'll start with hits. So, Artie, was there a, what was your first hit? I think you said, unfortunately, you thought you had more misses than... <laughs> Look at my pad. The right is misses, the left is hits. So um, I'll just come out and say I my hot take was that I thought The Departed was Scorsese's best movie. I've since rewatched Goodfellas, and I've since seen Casino, which I had not seen at the time. And I really enjoyed Casino. Mm. I liked it more than Goodfellas. I still have my issues with Goodfellas. But here's something that really annoyed me. Last time we watched a little, me and you caught a little clip of Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. And I was, I immediately went into mocking how stupid the voiceover was. And you made a phenomenal point that kind of changed the lens of how to view the voiceover. 
imagine the voiceover is a strung out cokehead and it's coming from the point of view of not a sober Henry Hill, but a strung out cokehead. And that made it more interesting. It, yes. ma- it made it have more appeal to me. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll I, just I'll, do another rewatch now through that lens. Yeah. And I'll just say that that was something that was pointed out to me. I think it was probably like a week or so before that. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And it came on. And, you know, I think you, it was, it was it fresh was in your one mind. One of the scenes, I think, where, where he's arguing with. No, it was when he's about to bring Karen into the place and. And he's like, his voiceover is like, she was shouting and hollering. And meanwhile, she was being completely normal. Yeah. So he was, I was like, why is he saying this? That's such a stupid comment. And you're like, now imagine he's, the voiceover is from a strung out cokehead. He's remembering it a different way than it really happened. Right. And it it made a lot of sense. So I'm doing another rewatch of Goodfellas now. Great. But my, (laughs) my, my first hit was, I still think The Departed is Scorsese's best movie. Yeah. And you know what, man? I mean, I, it, for me, it's it's right there with Taxi Driver still. Oh, and I've seen that, and I had not seen that oh, at the time. Oh, you hadn't seen Taxi Driver at the time. I okay. had not seen it at the time, and I've seen it since, and I, I did really enjoy Taxi Driver. <laughs> I have a feeling if I watch Taxi Driver a few more times, it, it's going to compete with The Departed, because it's one of the more memorable movies I've ever seen, Taxi Driver. Yeah. I, I should remember say... remember most of it after one watch. I should say, too, yeah, I should have done this before this segment started, but... If you want to listen to our original Departed episode, I'll have it pinned up on our Twitter account, so you can check that out before listening to this one. Please don't. Or you could just scroll to the bottom of our uh, bottom of our feed. So if you're hearing this one months or years after it's it's debuting, and we've been sitting around on this for a little while, you just scroll all the way to the bottom. It's the first release we have. Uh, I'm not a big fan of re-releasing things just because it gets gets the the feed a little cluttered. So go right down to the beginning. It's the first episode on the feed. Go check that out. Uh, my first hit here, and I mentioned this already, is the rewatchability. And I think it's it's very easy to call something rewatchable and then years later find that, You're uh, I don't really want to watch this right now. Like, I've seen this already. I've seen this, you know. So it's it's fun to to know that when we recorded that, we were recording a movie that we knew is this rewatchable on all the time movie and we've put it under under deep analysis we've put it through these rankings episodes and and the full deep dive and we have we've really experienced the movie as, as much as we anyone really would hope to and i put it on the i put it on last night and just enjoyed every second of it i just just, just loved it. It is as if I'm seeing it for the first time every time. Like I have, it, there's no point is it boring. There's not a scene I fast forward. It is just, it's honestly, it's. I, I don't know what it is about it that's so appealing to to just. It, like they throw it on TV all the time because it is rewatchable. People yeah. put it on. People leave it on. Yeah, and there's layers to it. There's a lot going on beyond the the pretty developed an intricate plot but there's a lot going on beyond that there's good use of symbolism there's a lot of things that you could read into if you wanted to which i always say is my favorite kind of movie and if you want to just watch the stars go out and play you can watch the stars go out and play this movie is definitely a star-studded event yeah and they all kill it absolutely which helps a lot and they you know it it feels like a lived-in world which is a big part of it Somehow there's a lot of world building in this. Okay, so we'll go we'll go over to you next, Artie, for uh, another hit. One of my big positive criticisms of the movie in the first recording was the sound editing is phenomenal. 
it's noticeably phenomenal on the rewatch. Like it is just perfect. It's 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 noticeably good. Yeah. And it, it's a difficult task. It's not like it's not like they're just playing a four chord song. It's like a master of puppets type of the analogy I'm trying to make is like there's movies with sound editing where it's like paint by numbers mm-hmm. and then there's movies with sound editing where it's very complex and original and not really a lot of movies do the sound editing that way and the way they go in and out with the soundtrack in this and then raise the volume of certain small noises like the phone's ringing or the phone closing mm. it, it it all adds it yeah there's all a adds. there's an architecture to it you yeah know, there, there's there, it's it's not just a bunch of big moments they the whole movie is carefully laid out with the sound design and it, it it very much shows yeah and there's there's times where they're being a little flashy and they're and they're showing off a little bit there's other times where what they're doing is is very camouflage in the background you know like whether it's like the beach boy song that you don't that i didn't even notice until you know this viewing even comfortably numb the song starts it they they mute the song they allow for some dialogue over silence and then the song roars back in while they start hooking up it's I, you don't see that in movies it's it's pretty unique to this movie that's going to lead me to my next hit comfortably numb this version of comfortably numb i defended this and i will continue to defend it i think it's I think it's masterful. I think it's an unbelievable selection for the spot. I love the scene. It's become one of my favorite scenes of the movie. And I think the song's a big part of it. And every time I see it, I like it better. Uh, I'm interested to see if you've softened on this at all because you were pretty firm against it back then. And I do understand some of your complications with the scene in general. And, you know, I, I, I can get that of it, that end of it. But just curious about what your your thoughts now on the on the usage of the live, specifically the usage of the live version of Comfortably Numb here. So your second hit leads into my first miss. Okay, let's do it. I do appreciate that song and its usage in this scene, and the version's fine. I was too caught up on it being a live version. Like, yeah, it irks me, but it shouldn't irk me because it's used right in the movie. The it, scene is uncomfortable. I get it, but it works. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. Yeah, and like you these know guys what? are in uncomfortable situations the entire movie, and the move to the audience, the scene that's most uncomfortable is just a man and a woman in a bedroom. Yeah, and and it's probably the scene where Leo's character is the most comfortable, and he's comfortably known himself. And and you know, in a in a movie, we just mentioned how carefully the sound design's laid out. And I thought of this today listening to the podcast. Choosing not just a live version, but a live version done by two different artists in addition to Roger Waters. So you have Roger Waters, you have Van Morrison, and you have the band all performing a song. In a movie about identity through a character who is forced to play different people, and play different classes of people. How cool is that to have it a collaborative live version from Berlin of a song in a moment with a character? I think it's a very clever thing when we're talking about uh, about identity and almost you know um, forced schizophrenia. Also, to your point about choosing the live version, it is Leo's moment, as they say, of vulnerability mm-hmm. in this and 
when are you more vulnerable than when you're playing music live? Oh, that's cool too. It's I a like live that. version, so it's yeah. there's there could have been an error. Yeah, and, you know there there isn't. Yeah, it's, you know. Yeah, and, and it's and and just even if even if we're reading into it, just it's very different because you, you when do you ever hear a live version of a song like a recorded a recorded version of a live version of a song in, in a, movie. a movie. It's very, right. very rarely done. The, as uncomfortable as this scene makes me, it's one of the most memorable too. It is. I, to, I totally agree with that. It's one of, the one, one of the ones that stuck with me the most. And uh, it, is, it is just a sexy scene too. Like uh, That's another thing that like stood out to me. Like She has a nice baton. <laughs> and they're like showing some angles and stuff. Like this, uh, it's... You don't really see a ton of scenes like that you in, don't. in mainstream movies. You don't. That was a, like, I felt like I was watching two people actually hook up and I needed to leave the room, <laughs> you know, or move to the <laughs> corner and sit quietly. <laughs> I think you said that in the first, in the first one too. I, cool. I did, but it was, you know, me shouting it from a mountaintop, not me just talking calmly. Right. Okay. So I'm going to go next into a, a hit into a miss if that's okay just kind of similar to what we just did on the last one We're, sure of sure. course it's okay. okay what do i care so the hit the hit is and this hit is actually on your end of the this the, the spectrum here is a hit on your part because i've since the episodes come out i mean I, I thought that you really hammered home the the sexual abuse with the priests and matt damon and you know i've always kind of wondered if we were being a little too blunt with that discussion about how because it because it really isn't it isn't laid out for you specifically like a, a movie normally would it's not there's no there's no at the end they don't confirm definitely there's no written evidence of it it's it's alluded to we were saying it as if it's a known fact and i've had a lot of people comment and say oh my god i've never even thought about that i mean yeah i guess maybe but i'm not still not totally sure so i've i've wondered about that you know, in watching it last night, I don't think that you can that you can watch the movie closely and not see the evidence of it. it is that there's something there. Now, I don't necessarily think it has to specifically be priests and Matt Damon, but there is definitely something there. I mean, it's it's just it's just alluded to too often to not be. It it, it yes. It's not an accident that all those illusions are in the movie. You know, it's they were there on purpose. I do. I'll take it a step further. I do think it is alluding to the priest molesting Matt Damon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're you're pretty adamant about that then. Yeah. And, and then there's theories out there that he's just like a, a closet gay person, which we never we never bought into, and I I still don't buy into that. Okay, we're leading into my myth. You laid that theory out. And you, just as you said, you're not totally buying into it. This time around, I am questioning that. It's the, it's his blatant chauvinism and like constantly saying, you know, the F word and the H word. It's almost like he's, I'm trying to be really careful here. There's also a lot of emphasis on how good he is at lying. And I think that that goes deeper than to just him deceiving the police about him being a rat. I think that there's some there's some lying of himself to his own, you know, to his partner. Shit, now I have a point that I just thought of to your point, which I didn't think of till right now. Okay. When he's lying there and he says, you know, I'm Irish, I'll deal with something being wrong my whole life. Mm -hmm. A Catholic Irishman 
being gay is wrong. Yeah. And you could deal with it your whole life. Also, at the end, when Leo's calling him out and he's heard all the tapes, he calls him the F word. Oh, so, so he may have heard something that... Which kind of leads me into a deeper theory that I might have, that I, I thought about this time around. I kind of suggested to you off mic that I, I, I kind of had a new way to look at this or just to question a little bit. Wondering if there was a sexual relationship between Jack Nicholson and Matt Damon at some point. Fascinating. Yeah, and again, just a, a way to possibly look at it in a theory, not necessarily something that this is how you should watch The Departed, but there's an uncomfortability when they're on the phone and and Jack is kind of uh, referencing the girlfriend. He's kind of a little nasty about it, and it's not totally clear why. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you wanted to have this little girlfriend. Well, he hates you know? he hates he hates girlfriends and ex wives. Yep, he says it to DiCaprio j- just because he he thinks they rat they yep. they leak info. But shit, another point to your point when he's in the the sex movie theater, mm-hmm. he takes out the dildo and yep. shakes it in David's face. He's like, see anything you like? Right. Like, I think yeah. he knows he's making a joke. Like, you are you gonna make that joke if? Yeah. Also, if you um, don't think there is him incessant, incessantly calling out the priests. Mm-hmm. I know what you do. I know what you do. I know what you do. Um, his obsession later on with finding the rat, finding the rat, finding the rat when he himself is a rat. He himself is informing to well, the he's FBI. the rat king. Yeah. Yeah. So it is it, it. It's just it's interesting to me, his obsessions with things that he seemingly is himself. Part of me also thinks the the father and the priest and them saying dad. Everyone in this movie has daddy issues. Yes. Yeah. From the top down. Yep. Everyone. And um, I wonder if that's kind of part of it, too. Like Jack Nicholson also has daddy issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is the right before he shot. I mean, he freaks out and says, you know, well, you couldn't have a son of your own. And that's what gets Matt. uh, Matt Damon says that to Jack Nicholson. And that's what gets him to pull the gun. So there's seemingly maybe some, I don't know if it's an impotence issue or maybe he's just barren or whatever it is. Um, shoots I, blanks. Yeah. So we're going, we're going, uh, we're getting a little uncomfortably numb there with this but stuff. But I love that. Deeper theories, deeper theories, you know. Yeah, I love that. I, I don't know if that's one that I'll, every time I watch the movie, I'll say, this is how it needs to be viewed. This is how it needs to be seen. But I think it's something to think about, you know, because, and that's what I love about the movies. The characters are so layered and there's so much to question with their interactions. And the filmmaking is just, there's stuff at the end that hints at stuff from the beginning and stuff from the beginning that you don't notice until the end. And I think that adds to the rewatchability. Yeah, totally. Uh, Okay. Do you have another uh, hit or another miss? I have another hit. Cool. In my opinion, Vera Formaggio's performance Oh, cool. I have that on it. I have that as a hit of my own. So we have a good, nice little uh, crossfire here. It's a hit because I still am not that crazy about it. Yeah. Okay. It's 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 a little distracting. Mm. A tiny bit. Nothing crazy, but it's just not my favorite. I feel like she's acting. I don't like to see that. Yeah. Well, I don't get that at all. I have it as a hit for me defending her because I think it's gotten even better over the years for me. I, I, I love her character in this movie. I love, I love the layers to it, you know, just to go back to that layer word, but there's, she's put in this predicament of a situation, but a lot of by her own doing, but being that, that barometer between Damon and Leo in this and having some of her professional 
inadequacies get exploited through her relationship with Leo and having the relationship problems with not being able to figure out Matt Damon is it, it creates for this, you know, man, I don't want to call her like an incompetent doctor, but certainly one that is struggling to be successful at her profession. Well, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's leaking into her own life. It's also similar to, to Leo. So Leo wants to be a cop, but he wants to be like a real cop and do real police work. And she has a degree from Harvard, like she's a therapist. She could do really lucratively. She wants to do civil service. Yeah. So it's just like Leo. And you have Matt Damon who keeps talking about getting a law degree. Well, I could if I if I uh, I could I could get that done by next year if I if I applied to law school if I applied to law school right. if I applied you know yeah so they're all they're in this triangle of wanting what the other one has it's identity and, and none of them and none of them do what they want to be yeah you yeah. know like Leo signs up to be a cop but he wants to do real police work not pull people over on uh, I ninety five yeah and she wants to really help people so she actually works with cops who have trauma rather than go make a ton of money. Yeah, and I think she nails the performance personally. Uh, I I really do. I, I think she's just has she has great expressions on her face. I, the accent thing doesn't bother me personally. No, me neither. I've specif- so I've 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 worked on this argument a little bit. Okay, cool. A lot of this movie is has uh, improvisation. A lot of imp- improv takes. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's her strong suit. Hmm. And it. it some of her deliveries just come off weird, like when they're sitting there at the table and he's like, what would you do if she he walked in right now? She's like, um, yeah, well, I don't know. I guess I would just lie. I'd lie. Yeah, I'd lie. Like, yeah. it just seems a little, I don't know. See, I, fa- I find that as natural. Like, I find that as like how an uncomfortable date would go. I actually emphasized that that scene in my notes this time oh, around. So we're just on different pages with this performance. In a good way, though. Yeah. In a good way, though. So I have uh, in my notes this time around uh, the date scene. I I totally outlined it and just I loved the interaction there and I loved him kind of testing her and putting her cause that's how Matt Damon is in this movie he's you know he he has to put the other person down he has to to validate himself mm-hmm. you know and she's trying to psychoanalyze him but kind of a step behind him. Well, that's you can't the same analyze the, the Irish, right? This is it, right? And and he knew, but he knew what they said, but didn't let on that he knew it until right. a little later on in it. Isn't it funny that William Costigan Jr. is also Irish, so he's impervious to psychoanalysis? Yes, and so he just walks in and psychoanalyzes her. Yeah, and she might be impervious to analyzing anyone. Well, you know? Isn't she Irish too? So she's impervious to psychoanalysis. Uh, I'm not sure if she is or she isn't. She, um, yeah, she's just not a good psychologist. <laughs> She's like, she's doing it to meet guys. And I thought a cool little touch too was after their first date was the quote unquote first date between Jack and Leo, where they meet each other the first time and are yeah. feeling each other out. Yeah. I a also cool I didn't juxtaposition. I didn't. Um, Matt Damon's vibes during the uh, the French restaurant date. Mm-hmm. When he's like, yeah, you know, it's a French restaurant. You'd think they have Duck Larange. It seems like he's full of shit there. Like, isn't Duck Larange just orange duck? Like, isn't he's, that... If you go to a fancy French restaurant, that's like going to a fancy Italian restaurant and being like, you'd think they'd have chicken parm. Like, 
you don't go to a fancy Italian restaurant to order chicken parm. Well, he's so, totally full of shit. Totally. Yeah. And that's and the, and when it starts to get away from him, then he has to spin around and and do the Freud thing, right? To get back the the hands. Yeah. You know, he's all about gaslighting. Yeah. Oh, he gaslights the shit. Joey, Joey just sat up and spazzed out in his seat here and this. He's like, you're gaslighting. Oh, he, yeah, he's trauma. He, he gaslights her like crazy. Oh, yeah. This, this, um, and it's amazing she doesn't pick up on that. She's a psychologist. He, this, this scene where he like makes the joke about uh, about not having the stuff in the living room. You know, like, oh, we can't have this in the living room. <laughs> we might have company. <laughs> but really, put it away. You know, and <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but that is a gigantic red flag. Like, you're moving yeah. in with someone. It's like, yeah, but we're not going to put up any pictures of anything anywhere ever. Yeah, particularly not your Harvard degree. We until, might have mystery guests until like, I well, have one myself. Once once I have one, then we can put them both up there. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Good. Good stuff there. So that was your hit. Yeah. So we 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 both then, we both feel that we've we've hit on either side of that. So yeah. we, we're standing ground with uh with our points there. I like that. I have one. Is it you or me? Uh, we go to we go to you. Um, I'm due for a couple misses. Our, so I'm going to do another hit. Okay. Our take on technology use. This is one of the best movies I've seen with the use of cell phones. Like the use of cell phones in this. Particularly from that era. Are as as good as it could be used in a movie. Yeah. It's great. Now I shouted out Burn Notice back then. I'll shout it out again because Burn Notice is a great... Uh, it's right around the same era and it does a great job of exploiting evolving technology the wire is another perfect example right a lot of people don't realize that you used to have buttons on your phone and you could i could text without looking there's no issue and that story about me getting my first iphone is true i almost drove off the road leaving the mall after i bought it because i couldn't text and not look yeah texting texting and driving was always bad when the iphone came around it became completely lethal kieran it wasn't even illegal yeah. When it first came out. Yeah. Texting and driving wasn't illegal. I, I think was that was only just state. because texting itself wasn't as common as it is it, now. It, now it's a now it's a primary means of conversation. Well, the second the iPhone came out, there were crashes. Not, there were a lot of accidents related to texting. Yeah. So it would be illegal in New York, but then I drive to Delaware to college and it was not illegal in Delaware. Yeah. And no one knows how to drive in Delaware. So it was like a it was like a catch twenty two. <laughs> oh God. Okay, so I, I have a, a quick hit. A quick hit. You're on board with the te- my, technology use, though, my, right? It's yes, great and this. this is this is segues into my next one. This is a red hot take for me because this this comment has aged just brilliantly. Ringtones are completely obnoxious and unacceptable at this point. You can, if you have a ringtone, if you're listening to a ringtone, please put it on vibrate. Do everyone around you a favor. No one needs to hear your phone ring. We've evolved as a society and stopped that. We have. And why Martin Sheen's phone is going off. And Leo's phone are going off in these like, these like spy situations. Like your phone has a vibrate. Thing. You Come on, you dude. are following someone through a dark alley at night, and your phone is on <laughs> ring. Like not I even vibrate. Give- you can. I know there wasn't a silence or vibrate function back then as much as there is as it's not as, as like there is now commonly practiced. But you can yeah. go to ring volume and pump it down to zero. Yeah, and then follow the guy through the alley. Right. And now, I mean, like, now we do it just throughout our day. Like, you know, it, it, we're getting to the point where, like, movie theaters aren't even going to need to tell you to silence your phone anymore. Because if you haven't silenced your phone in your life, you're, you're kind of being an asshole. <laughs> Literally, yeah. You, and it's not even, if you don't silence your phone now, you, every, they hear everything you get. Texts, like, news yeah. updates. Yeah. 
That, that's a good take. Very red hot take. If you listen to that episode carefully, you can hear my phone vibrating more than once or, 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 or your phone or put multiple, multiple examples of our phones kind of going off a little bit. So. That's very funny. Okay, I have a, I'm going to go with a, a miss on my part. All right. I was critical of Matt Damon's acting, and that I'm, I'm wheeling that back completely. His acting is phenomenal in this. It's a, it's an incredible performance. Uh, it's I, I don't know. I don't agree with my points from that. I was I had issues with certain scenes, particularly I think some of the scenes where he was losing his cool a little bit during the sting. Uh, I I I think he's I think this is a great performance from Matt Damon. So that was a miss on my part. Totally agree. Totally agree. He's phenomenal. He creates a great character. Yeah. creates a great character and it's not easy when you're opposite you know the guy who gets every job that you get turned down for like leo uh who is it christian bale thanked leo Dica- leo dicaprio for starting his career by turning down certain roles yeah, yeah. like that's kind of like matt damon's definitely not gotten some roles because leo took them because leo just gets first tips so you're opposite jack nicholson leonardo dicaprio and you kill it Cool. Yeah, and you have Kudos, to play man. a really nuanced, Kudos. layered character too. Yeah, so, yeah. and he has the most screen time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He's essentially the lead in this. Yeah, in this definitely. Thing. You get another another miss. I do. I have a bunch. <laughs> so when we go <laughs> to the elevator scene segment of the last episode, it was I don't even know what I was saying. <laughs> I couldn't. I wasn't even speaking English. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you the order in which who. Who was, was dying, killed yeah. and who killed who. And what they said in between it. If you go listen to that segment, you would just shut this off and be like, these guys don't know what they're doing. Yeah, and and like, you'd be right. I was arguing with you, but wasn't sure enough myself to really be adamant on the microphone. So I did. And even as I'm listening today, I'm like, I think this happened and then that happened and then that happened. So I went after listening, I went and and watched it. And it is in the order of... No, I know. I mean, yeah. well, in, just, in, just for, in, in, in retrospect, you, I shouldn't even have been questioning this. <laughs> in case you're just listening now, it goes: elevator door opens, Leo gets shot, Barrigan goes inside, uncuffs Damon, Anderson comes out, he shoots Anderson, then he explains to Matt Damon that they're on the same side, they got to stick together. Then Matt Damon asks him for the gun. Then Matt Damon shoots Barrigan. That's the that's the order in which it happens. Yeah, and I don't know why that was so hard for me to <laughs> verbalize last time. So I mean, I do know why. But all right, so yeah. that was a that was a mess on my part. That whole segment was just ruined by me. I'll do a quick miss. Uh, I said there was no voiceover in Mean Streets. That's an ice cold, incorrect statement. Not only is there voiceover in Mean Streets. Martin Scorsese does the voiceover himself. Like oh the voiceover God, is the voice amazing. of Martin Scorsese. So that's, that's that was a, that's, that is a miss. That is a, a, a cold white miss. So when I started taking my notes for misses, the first one, this is just like a quick joke, then I'll get to my real miss. The first note I wrote was, okay, number one, how dare I? <laughs> 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 I will say the the RDB character that was created in this in this episode, well, well, it, it poss- possibly and almost certainly has lost us many listeners. It also created a a very vocal fan base of RD, of RDB lovers and haters. Like there like there were a ton of people who 
disagreed with you so adamantly that they listened to every episode of the, and and they got frustrated when you weren't on the episode and we also had people who, who just loved and just got a, got a kick out of your outspokenness particularly in, in relation to, to Goodfellas it's like private parts they come to Howard Stern and they're like the people who love him listen an hour of 90 minutes a day the people who hate him listen an hour or an average of two hours a day like, <laughs> it's that oh my god so how dare I? But number number two is there are a couple movies that I just say I've seen. I don't <laughs> listen. I know this is a joke with Joey and and Chris and Grant, but I haven't done that since this episode. And honestly, I don't even know why I did it in this episode. I haven't <clears throat> seen a Clockwork Orange. <laughs> I think you call it a masterpiece or what? I don't no, no, I just referenced that it's like I don't even I don't even remember the You concept. cited it as something, right? Yeah, I yeah. cited it. I think you, you married it to two thousand and one. I think two thousand one and Yeah, like yeah. I could do movies that have long chunks with no dialogue. Yeah. I don't even know if that happens in a clockwork <laughs> orange. I haven't seen it. So I'm sorry everyone for lying to you. And the other one is <laughs> when we're going through the This uh, is my favorite in the world. When we're go when we're going through the other nominees. I literally stumbled and almost fell over listening to this. Kieran mentions Letters from Iwo Jima, and I go, "Oh, that's a wonderful movie. It's very theatrical. It's like a, it's like you're watching a Broadway play." <laughs> I have no, not- I since at the time I had not seen it. I since have seen Letters from Iwo Jima, and I'm listening to him. And for first, as he's as he says, "Oh, that's a that's a that's a." incredible movie or whatever i'm like he's seen letters of iwo jima i feel like we would have discussed the movie and then he starts saying it's a it's a little too theatery acty it's like watching a broadway play I'm like a broadway play they're on like the sands of the beaches of iwo jima getting the shit blown out of them in you know in in, in a foreign language well i haven't <laughs> seen it so that's why i don't even know why i brought it up or had a, 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 a that specific of an opinion of it. Oh my god! So, very funny. And mean, that was at the very, very end of the episode too. Yeah, like I don't even remember acknowledging that. But so, a couple movies I have not seen that I said I saw. That's a big miss by me. <laughs> and we don't do that anymore. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Never, never, never. Uh, here's a few movies that I have seen since that came out. So I have a little. Uh, I made a little list here because the movies that I said during the episode. That I had not seen. That I have. I have seen them since the episode came out. Gangs of New York, Kingdom of Heaven, Blood Diamond, The Big Short, Little Miss Sunshine, Letters from Iwo Jima are all movies I've seen since. You saw Kingdoms of he- Kingdom of Heaven. I have. Yeah, it's I've good. Seen. It's okay. It's okay. I, I'm. See, I. I didn't see. I hear you have to see the director's cut. The director's oh. cut is like is like the one to watch. I saw the the theatrical version. It was okay. Just okay. But yeah, no. I mean, I, I get why why people like it. Yeah, Keira um, Knightley. Blood Diamond, I don't care for. You were big on Blood Diamond. Oh, I love Blood Diamond. Yeah, I, I, I think Leo is so much better in Departed than he is in Blood Diamond. I agree with that. I just really like that movie, too. Okay, um, here's a miss on my part. Scarface is well acted. I just don't know why I said that. I don't I don't feel that way. I, don't... I said it, too. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it is it is. I said it's an iconic performance. It is an iconic performance in the true truest meaning of it. Like, it's... But every People other actor in it, it sucks. Yeah, and I'm not even sure that Pacino's really all that good. Mm. He's really over the top and putting on a, putting on a, uh, 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 putting on an act. So <laughs> can I write a new hit here that Scarface just isn't? Well, and uh, I think that is a hit on your part because I'm not big on Scarface either. It's not that good. Yeah, I think I said that was a massive hot take, and it, I guess it is for some people, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of people love it. Like Quentin regards it as like a. 
like one of the the good movies of that yeah. of that era. And I don't know, man. That yeah, might, I'm, my thing. I'm a little lukewarm on De Palma in general. But uh, what else has he done? I, he's done Carrie. Uh, I mean, I obviously like Carrie, but Carrie's good. To, uh, some of his other stuff, I'm just not so not so keen on. Uh, you know what? I want to look up a Brian De Palma movie. I yeah, let's get let's, let's get on, it. Give me one second. We got the we got the computer right in front of you there. Why don't uh, you just use it? Uh, you got the Google. You got you got the Google, <laughs> the Google machine. Brian De Palma. The <laughs> <laughs> Palma. The Untouchables. I don't like that movie. I haven't seen it. It's Kevin Costner. Sean Connery wins his Oscar in that. He did Carlito's Way. I've which, seen that. Which I do like. I I've do seen like that. that. It's okay. I don't really love it. Um, he did the first Mission Impossible, which I love. I'm not. I don't. I'm not a fan of that. Dress to Kill, Body Double, Sisters Passion, The Fury. No, I'm the Black I, I Dahlia. Guess, the Black Dahlia. Yeah, see, I, Wait, I, I, he did Snake Eyes. All right. Yes, yeah, so that I movie gave... sucks. <laughs> Nicholas Cage and Gary. Careful, that's a guilty. That's a guilty pleasure of uh, Adam St. John out there. Oh, I, I, I think he just does a lot of movies that don't in, that don't interest me to watch. Like I, I don't. I'm not going out of my way to watch Dress to Kill. I'm just not. You know, I, I need to see Untouchables. I do like Carrie. I do like Carlito's Way. So maybe I'm being a little callous with that take. Maybe we'll have to do an episode in three years where I take that back and call that a mess. I don't know. You should watch the 2015 documentary De Palma about. <laughs> De Palma. Oh, he did Mission to Mars. De Palma. See, you know what the issue is with this? De Palma makes bad movies that I like. Like okay. I, Mission to Mars sucks. I'll leave it on every time it's on. <laughs> Speed two factor. So, all right, that was one of your hits. I mean, one of your misses. That was the, one of my misses. I'll give another another slight miss here. I'm, I, I'll, I want to dial back the Wahlberg take a little bit. Your Wahlberg take wasn't as warm as mine, though. No, mine was cold. Well, mine was... Mine was that I wasn't so keen on him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love. And them. I didn't see an Oscar performance there. I think that's what I said. I, I'm still, I'm still kind of one foot in, one foot out with it being like a nominated performance. I just, I deep down, I think there's there's other choices for Oscar nominations in that. It's also like kind of obvious to me that he's only on set for two days or whatever it is. There's a lot of his scenes are very short, very quick, and, and very abrupt with the cuts. That being said, I am categorizing it as a miss because he is playing he's playing a very intriguing character that is essential to what's going on with the plot, and he does it in a really authentic Boston way. And I, I do think he... he endlessly works in this movie he really there's there's nothing about him that doesn't work perfect for this film if he wasn't nominated do you think you wouldn't have as many issues with it correct yeah yeah my issues are my issues are, are strictly around the nomination because i think he's like a really fun movie character in this yeah I yeah think he does a great job yeah so i just got to get over myself and just <laughs> you also probably wish dennis leary got it uh oh god that would have been amazing that really, I really do, and I would have loved for him to be nominated for Oscar. He wouldn't have been, and and part of me would wanted wanted either Jack to be nominated or even even Baldwin. Baldwin's great in this movie. Baldwin's incredible, but dude, everyone's great. Mister yeah. French is great. They're all great. Yeah, yeah. Martin Sheen too. Sheen's great. Okay, uh, give, give me one. Great. You got a you got a miss. You got a miss. Yeah, boy? I have a miss. Who? What are my Moses screaming proclamations <laughs> from a mountaintop the whole episode? You could just talk, you know. It's like 
Imagine, they, you know, imagine they put Mike Francesa on top of a mountain and handed him a megaphone. That's what I sound like with half the points I make in the first episode. Uh, boy. I'm just. That's, you got an example? Every example. <laughs> I'm like, well, we have sensitive mics now. I don't want to bur- blow people's eardrums out, but I'd be like. Oh, for seven times. Oh, the rewatchability is just so rewatchable. <laughs> you know, yeah, and also leading into another miss, I am just so disrespectful to Martin Scorsese. I talk about him like he should be listening to me and take my advice. I said that <laughs> I said that he filmed good I said this. He filmed good fellas wasn't thrilled with the filmed footage, so he went back and had Ray Liotta go in. And, and like, dude, we should have been canceled. If there was an army of film experts critiquing our podcast, which there are now, but that Departed episode, they'd be like, oh, these guys have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> There's one where you're like, he didn't want the movie to be three and a half hours. He only wanted it to be three hours, so he added the voice bell to make it shorter. Wait, no, I said if I said, well, he learned. Martin Scorsese learned. Right, he learned so from his twenty mistakes. years later, he can make a two hour and forty minute movie with no voiceover. But you know, in nineteen ninety, he thought he could do a two hour twenty minute movie if you add twenty minutes of voiceover. Like, what the fuck's that even mean? <laughs> I'm totally talking out of my ass. That is like bullshit. Just straight bullshit. Oh, man. Big mess. I think he started a mini cult of anti-Goodfellas people who are now like going to turn on you now. now like, it, but it, we've, we've, we've based our whole ways on that. It's like that. when a cult leader is like, you know, I changed my mind. They're like, well, what, what do you mean? We gave up our lives and followed you. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I like to, you know, the, the, you know, definitely thinking that Martin Scorsese thinks Departed is better than Goodfellas. I just don't know how, unless he said it, how we could say that. Like, there's no way. If he, <laughs> unless he's like on record for saying, I and I don't think any, I don't think directors do this. Like, I don't think they say like this movie's better than that movie. I think it's like, yeah, they're all out there. They have favorites. Yeah, they have favorites. I imagine Goodfellas is his favorite. Probably- <laughs> <laughs> Huge mess by me. Huge mess. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I have a, a Miss Martin here. I, I, my Morgan, in, my Morgan Freeman impression was of of him as as like a Southern belle. Is it? <laughs> I saw him walk through shit smelling foulness that I never would have imagined. I'm like, what? That's my favorite movie. Why am I? Why, why are was, you from Savannah? What, what was that impression? I you sound like was, Andy from The Office doing the Savannah. I impression. sound like Jessica Tandy in in Driving Miss Daisy, not her driver. <laughs> Oh, that's that's what happened. So that's it's like happened. Daisy. Oh, oh my boy. god, that was that one heavy scratch in my head here. I have just have a quick miss. Okay, my, yeah, my, we're getting to the end of these here. My my all of my content in that first episode could have been reduced to six sentences. <laughs> okay, I just shouted them over and over for an hour. Such and passion, two hours. Though, such passion. So. Um, you know, we'll, we'll we're gonna get to the awards and and do that, and and I don't, you know. A little spoiler. I don't know that my LVP is going to change, but I do think how I explained it was a little hypercritical. I, I don't, you know, the the Barrigan, I don't know what really, I think I was trying to dig myself out of a hole in that one. This is my last miss, so I'll just throw it out there. Okay. Our lack of understanding of the awards. Yeah. Well, that's the infancy stage of it. It's yeah, the we just, part. yeah, I think it was really just MVP, LVP, and I still don't remember exactly if we aborted them. So, like, no, what if, you, what you said. No, no, you only told me MVP, LVP prior. Mm-hmm. But when you def- defined what the LVP is, 
you basically said it can't be Jack Nicholson's girlfriend because mm-hmm. she's not a real character. She's just kind of blah, blah, blah. The LVP award has evolved into being exactly that. Yeah. Like the least right. valuable character in every movie. Yeah, the, the one that was written the poorest. Yeah, just who not, just does, yeah. adds nothing. So it's it's that was a big miss by us. Like you defined what the LVP isn't. And yeah, that's and what it, it, what it ended up into. being. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also kind of like <laughs> we'll get to the awards we get, but we kind of like we're 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 we had our cake and ate it too with all of the MVP. Like the, our MVPs were like, well, my MVP, if you look at it this way, yeah, is Matt Damon. But if you look at it that way, it's Leo. It's like right. okay, thanks for for bringing nothing to the table, here. right? Right. right. Yeah. So we'll we'll have, we'll have to. We'll have to sit down and get a little more a little more specific with that when, yeah. we, when we go. But so anything anything else? Any other hits or misses there with this? Um, one one hit. This is my last hit. Okay. Our analysis of the character, pretty much everything we talked about with Matt Damon and the daddy issues and stuff, we nailed that. Mm. Like that was the best content of the first episode. Yeah, I thought there was some. There was definitely some some good content in there and some. You can kind of see some bells or hear some bells going off as we were talking and, and getting into it. And I think that that laid the groundwork for a lot of the episodes or some of my favorite episodes that we've done to come where it's like we're not just talking about exactly what's being put on screen. We're taking what's put on screen and we're having a conversation about it and we're we're opening our own little boxes and portals into the conversation. And those are always my favorite episodes. Those are always my favorite movies, movies that you can do that with. Right. You know, so I, I thought that that was there. I, I loved, I loved our discussion about the the closing scene. Other than the uh, us arguing over the order in which the the shots went off, I think I you were talking about how the twist can sometimes ruin the movie if that's all the twist is. I think one of my quotes was uh, the the final scene was wonderfully chaotic, and we both kind of commented on how it's amazing how rewatchable that scene stays, even though you know exactly what's going to happen. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a cool thing to be you, able to. You watch that. a two hour, you know, forty minute movie, and I still look at Leo as a living character the whole time. It's not like I'm watching him going, "Oh, he dies at some point." I don't think that. I just yeah. am in it in the present. Yeah, and I, I just remember watching in theaters too, and just everyone just fucking gasping when Leo gets shot. I mean, just the reaction from the crowd was. It's like adapt an adaptation when he goes to the screenwriting classes. Agamemnon, what's that? Brian Cox. Yeah. He's like, you got to wow them in the end. Well, Departed fucking wows Yo, you in the end. definitely Jesus wows Christ. in the end. Yeah. Even to the true last scene of, of Wahlberg killing Damon, I, that's even more like, oh, shit. Jesus. Yeah. Shit got real quick. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, that's kind of our little summary, our little little personal defense and attacks of ourselves. Now we're gonna we're gonna turn the blade around here. We may be going over some of these things a second time and have to either throw ourselves to the mercy of the court or maybe defend ourselves a little bit further. But get into that next. Okay, now we're gonna bring in our guest for the evening. He is Chauncey Talese. He's going to join the conversation, kind of keep us in check here a little bit. Chauncey, how you doing out there? I am fantastic. How are you guys? We're good, man. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Doing well, bud. Um, well, thank so, you for inviting me. I'm excited to talk about the departed. Yeah, that's right. We've been kind of kicking this around for a little while here, man. So I'm glad we finally got to to putting it together and making it happen here. So definitely thank you for joining us for it. Oh, please. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Hell yes. Hell yes. Okay, so first, uh, first step is I'm going to 
Uh, just why don't you tell people about what, what you do, some of your plugs, how they can uh, reach in, they can find some of the other things you're doing. So I write about the Rams for LAFBnetwork.com. That is the LAFootballnetwork.com. And I also have a podcast called LA Podfidential where it's primarily Rams, but then we also talk about the superhero news for the week. Then we, do mo- we talk about movie trailers or any other movies that we saw that week. We always recommend stuff for, for, that we watch during the week, be it TV or movies. Um, and it's a very loose, fun variety show, honestly. Cool. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, Artie, uh, Artie here is a big uh, big football, big fantasy football guy. So, Yeah, I asked you about Cooper Cup because I have uh, shares of Allen Robinson. So. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know what happened there. But like, <laughs> who's, your, who's your actual team? Giants. Yeah, oh, we're both, both Giant fans over be, here. You gotta be happy. I oh mean, hell yeah! Yeah, they're defying. You know? the, they're defying the analytics. It's it's a little <laughs> sketchy. I'm waiting for some regression, but I'm pretty happy. It's okay. I mean, you know, at least you won't have to worry about Danny Dimes because they're not going to bring him back next year. At, and honestly, man, the biggest thing is we have a coach who knows how to coach. Yeah, you do. No doubt about that. He's good. Yeah, we also have uh, experienced our uh, our Super Bowl championships, and uh, something you know a little bit about as a Rams fan over there, huh? I know you wouldn't know it to be on Rams Twitter, but we did actually win the Super Bowl last year. Um, <laughs> this year, it's been like a, the self hatred never went away, which is amazing to me. I thought, okay, we'll get one honeymoon year, but now it's back to the uh, backbiting and questioning every decision ever made because they can't enjoy happiness. That's how it works. Yeah. Well, I have a you know my fandom, my my number one fandom in my heart is the Atlanta Braves, so I. Also, oh uh, I'm in the championship circle for now. I mean, that's that's going to be over here in a few games. It's, wait, wait, wait! You're a New York fan, but an Atlanta Braves person. I, yeah, that's right. Yep, born and raised oh, in New York, but a lifelong Atlanta Braves fan. It's an interesting thing, Chauncey. That's for, fascinating. Growing up in the '90s, the only baseball that you can get on TV for free was the Braves on TBS. Mm-hmm. So, if you want baseball, Jones can't set foot in New York City, man. And if <laughs> right, <laughs> and if you if you Wanted to watch baseball. The only thing you can get was the Braves. So I had a few years where I was a Braves fan. Then the Mets came back on the TV, and I was like, "All right, back to back to reality." Yeah, but I you know wow. stuck with uh, those Braves my whole life. Was finally rewarded there last uh, last year. They won when I was like twelve, and then they won again last year. But you know, like it is is hundred win season. You lose in the playoffs, and everybody's grouchy again. So I'm a Dodgers guy, so I'm I'm really living that. Oh God, yeah, and yeah, we yeah the. My Braves heart. knocked you guys out out last year, and I guess you have to deal with the Padres again this year. Oh, the worst people, man! I swear <laughs> to God, it's like it's, it'd be one thing if it, like if it's the Giants, you're like, okay, fine, like respect because like you're an actual good franchise, but like the Padres, you're like, who are you? Like, <laughs> like you've accomplished funny. nothing in the last thirty years, and like, oh, your title didn't count. It's like. We beat you in the first round that year, so if anything, like you counted even less. Like, what are you talking about here? Oh boy. Well, we could turn this into a baseball podcast right. real, real quickly, but uh, or a football <laughs> podcast for that for that matter. But we uh, we do want to start <laughs> talking movies a little bit. I want to ask you before sure. we start getting to this specific movie, The Departed. I want to ask you a little bit about what you look for in movies. If you have a favorite movie, what that might be. Kind of some of the things that uh, that get you going as a viewer. For one thing, I like any movie that can make me laugh, even if it's like a even if it's a drama that's funny. All for it. Um, I like anywhere that takes me to another place that I don't know. I really love engage and engaging characters. Like I know it sounds cliche, but like you'd be surprised how many movies really don't fit that bill. Mm. Like for instance, my big four on Letterbox are Tommy Boy, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Empire Strikes Back, and Silence of the Lambs. Hell yeah. 
That's a, that's some grouping. I know. And the thing is, like, like any other day I could edit it to be like Goodfellas, Boogie Nights, and Pulp Fiction, a com- and a combination of anything else. Like, I, I don't really have a favorite favorite. For years it was Big Daddy, but, you know, I, mean, I still love that movie to death, but, like, there's a ton I could put in as my favorite. But Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I think, has solidified itself more so because that's, like, the perfect encapsulation of what I'd want. Cool. Like, I love... Like there's fantastic elements, but it's grounded. There's a deep emotional story there, but it's also just insane. Yeah, and I I sense that you know out of those out of those four movies at least, maybe I guess Tommy Boy would be the uh, the outlier there. But you got a little kind of like a noirish, darkish mystery vibe in the other three. And even Tommy Boy, there's a lot of there's a lot of emotionality to it. Because yeah, cool. I, I lasted, you know. Yeah. Were, were you in your late thirties, Chauncey? I am thirty three. Thirty three early. Oh wow. That makes me feel older. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're only we're only a few years older than you here, but uh, okay, cool. So it sounds good. And uh, just off the bat, what was your first experience with The Departed? So 2006, I was um, 17 when it came out. My friends and I were really excited to see it. Like weirdly, I hadn't seen a lot of Scorsese at that point. Like I I had seen like The Aviator, I'd seen Goodfellas, Casino, but like didn't they didn't register as much as they do now. Um, and I was just starting to like Leo. Because I was at that that weird pocket, I'm sure you guys know, where like when Titanic was huge, like the Leo resentment grew very high. Mm. It's like, oh, who's this pretty boy? He can't act, even though you're like, I cognitively now you're like, oh, well, he did Gilbert Grape, of course he can act. But you're like, oh, who's this pretty boy? He can't act, and then like by the time the Departed rolled around, I'm like, oh yeah, he's the real deal. <laughs> like I'm yeah, stupid. Kind of that kind of poster I'm boy very, vibe. Yeah, I'm like I'm very dumb. Like, and of course I didn't really I knew what it was about, but like I wasn't prepared for how awesome like the last thirty minutes of the departed are going to be. Yeah, and action, then, action packed. And it's so real. It's so unbelievably quotable. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and it's, the, it's uh, every line, man. Every mm-hmm. line you can find something. I mean, even even this time around, I'm still picking out things. I'm like, oh god, the script is so. She said it's like mushrooms. I feed them shit and keep them in the dark. Yeah, <laughs> it's so fun to do all of that and then as i've gotten older i've watched a lot more and I'm like oh there's like so much going on here like a lot going on here and it's it's so fun man i can't wait to discuss it with you and get your thoughts on some of our our wacky takes and which ones are hold up and which ones you think might be a little out there we're gonna get get your takes on it too maybe you have a hot take or two you want to throw in the mix so this should be this should be fun i think now we're going to return to the depths are you ready to go here did you bring your uh, your diving gear I did. I did. All right. We're going back into waters we haven't been in a few years, so we'll see how it how it ends up. Okay. So in 2006, we, you know, this was our first episode. We kind of brushed by these things. Now now we spend way too much time on them, so I just wanted to keep some spirit of what we're doing these days. I don't know how I mentioned 2006 and the Cardinals without bringing up the Mets, because that is a <laughs> pretty famous World Series. And Artie here is a big Met fan. My whole family are Met fans. I, you know, I mentioned I'm a Brave fan. So, I mean, I watched this whole game seven with my dad between the Mets and the Cardinals in the NLCS. And, you know, I mean, Carlos Beltran is infamous for take, having the bat on his shoulder on that Adam White, Wainwright curveball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I he gets an unfair amount of heat for that. The amount of balls it takes for a pitcher to throw a 3-2 curveball with the bases loaded in Especially that situation. If I'm any kind of an experienced major league hitter, I'm sitting fastball, and I'm just mm-hmm. waiting for a fastball. And that's what he was doing, and he couldn't believe the balls for that guy <laughs> to throw a curveball. And yeah, that Andy Chavez catch is still one of the best catches I've ever seen. Yeah, what mm-hmm. is the, the, the wall said? The strength to be there, I think, is what the wall 
the wall set as he caught it along the wall. Oh, really? Yeah. And he doubled them up. So 2006 NLCS. We discussed the Cardinals defeat the Detroit Tigers in five games in the World Series. Let's talk about how they got there, as painful as that may be for some Met fans. The Cardinals defeated the Mets in seven games. Game seven was a 1-1 tie in the ninth when Yadier Molina hit a two-run homer off Mets reliever Aaron Heilman. He is the worst (laughs) fucking Met ever. I watched him once single-handedly lose a game against the Phillies. He was pitching in the ninth. We were up three. He walked the bases loaded, so no one on the team touched the ball except him. He walked the bases loaded, and then on a comebacker to him, he threw the ball down to right field, and everyone scored, and we lost. No other players on the Mets touched the ball except him. Oh, my God. You you already love Aaron Heilman. That's been a lifelong thing there. <laughs> the Mets would load the bases in the ninth, but Carlos Beltran infamously struck out looking on a 3-2 curveball from then-rookie Adam Wainwright. NLCS MVP. This I had no idea about until I saw it, and I almost had to like do a double take when I saw it. The NLCS MVP was veteran pitcher Jeff Supon, who started Game 7 in the 2006 NLCS, and he had a, uh, a .60 ERA and 15 innings pitched in the series. Chauncey, do you remember Jeff Supon? I do. <laughs> Any Jeff Supon <laughs> thoughts? I know you, you, didn't, you didn't wake up this morning and think you'd be talking about old, old Jeff, but uh, any, any thoughts no, on, on Soup? <laughs> Takes I was about to talk about Pujols, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do have some pools coming up here, but Supon, uh, who had an interesting 17-year career, made his debut with the Red Sox at age 20, was taken as the third overall selection by the Diamondbacks in the 98 expansion draft. We have not had an expansion draft since then. He was on the Rockies, right? I believe, um, I believe I, wasn't no, he? No, a brewer. He was. he was a brewer and a royal. Royal. Yeah, he was a royal. Use him as spots, a spot starter in fantasy. Yeah. Uh, since we last discussed the 2006 World Series in 2019, Carlos Beltran was hired and fired as Mets manager without ever coaching a game amidst the Houston Astros no. trash can scandal. So we're doing a Mets bashing podcast? I'm just getting the facts out there, brother. Just getting those facts you out there. I'm even talking about the Astros, man. I hate the Astros with every fiber of my being. Who, wow. are, you, who are you rooting for in this well, that's World Series? Thing. Well, definitely not the Astros based on that last statement. Oh. I mean, yeah, I guess so. I mean, a, I mean, my whole thing since the Dodgers lost was a comet. I was been rooting for a comet, but like, if I have to pick, Phillies is gonna be like, fine. I guess Bryce Harper gets a World Series, but I can live with that. Like, whatever. But you know, there's no one on the Phillies I hate. On the pod, on the Astros, like, I hate all of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I just can't there's take. No can't take the Phillies. And I really the, like Jordan Alvarez. Okay, since the 2006 World Series, it's, it's Albert Pujols' time. Albert Pujols, who returned to the Cardinals. Hit his 700th home run this past season, expected to uh, retire. He actually did file for retirement today or yesterday uh, alongside uh, longtime teammates who also mentioned before Yadier Molina is also expected to retire there. Adam Wainwright, who's still a Cardinal, announced that 2023 will be his final season. Any thoughts on the, the big three from the Cardinals there? I know the Dodgers and Cardinals have had their, had their matchups. Absolutely. I love, but I have a soft spot for Tio Pujols. He was awesome in the Dodgers last year. He was so fun. I'm sad they didn't bring him back, but like I get it. Um, but like it was fun, man. I, I really enjoyed seeing Albert Pujols as a Dodger. I have nothing, no animosity towards him. He seems like a good dude. I'm glad he won what two World Series titles. That was cool. 
Um, yeah, and you know like, that well, uh, you know that chapped Angels fans' asses too. <laughs> the Dodgers just have a way of picking up those that castaways. Even, that's even funnier because, like, yeah, he did. He helped tank the Angels forever, but then again, it's not really his fault. Like, that's just they have bad ownership, and it's going to be really funny to me when they move to Long Beach. on the tiger side of things justin verlander who's currently pitching in the 2022 world series as an astro as his astros take on the phillies he's that game three is going on as we speak the astros are taking their lunch here today miguel cabrera who was on the tigers hit his 3000th home run this season is um, his 3000th hit sorry yeah is uh approaching the final year of his contract cabrera is expected to retire at the end of the 2023 season yeah and uh, just finally on those two players cabrera and pujols represented uh their respective leagues in the all-star game that was kind of a fun thing that they did this year they let them do a, like a legends entry in the all-star game and pools even participated in the uh the home run derby which was fun too I don't like your next note, Kieran. Can you just skip uh, it? Oh, yeah. One last note. Uh, the Mets are, in fact, still the Mets. So there we go. <laughs> we mentioned the number one track in the year was Justin Timberlake's Bringing Sexy Back. I walked out to that in my wedding. Oh, did you? That's what I do. I, I don't remember Sexy that. Back. That's funny. I like that. Okay. Thanks. So now uh, this, this segment here, I'm putting a little pressure on myself here. I am going to attempt to sing Bringing Sexy Back as Eric Cartman. So uh, hold on to your seats here. And being in sexy back. Yep. Okay, there we go. Thank you very much. And that'll be the podcast. So. All right. Someone contact Timbaland. <laughs> so we're, we're ready to dive into The Departed here. Chance, opening thoughts here on The Departed, on the film. This time around, what really stuck out to you here? Um, that it's just way more than it's a Scorsese karaoke reputation would ha- what have you believe. Like, sure, there's definitely beats he hit before, but you're just like, man, Leo and Damon are all so good in this. They're so good. Like, everyone else is too, but, like, I really appreciate what Leo and Damon are doing more than anything. Um, like, I've always loved Wahlberg in it, but, like, Leo and Damon, you kind of forget sometimes just how amazing they are at, uh, in it. Nicholson, the accent doesn't bother me as much as anymore. He's just having fun. I love batshit crazy Jack Nicholson. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what accent? Is also better this time. As, as time goes on, I like her performance more. I know people gave her crap about the accent, but like, I, I'm fine with it. She's actually really good. Yeah, so, so you and I are on the same page. Artie differs a, a little bit on that one. I want to go to your first point there, though. Why do you think that this movie is, is dismissed so often? It, well, I think you put it as Scorsese karaoke. Why do you think it gets that tag? Is it just well, people wanted the Oscar to go somewhere else? No, I mean, that was a weird Oscar year, as you guys know. Like, there really wasn't a front runner. Like, even The Departed was kind of an accident because other would-be Oscar um, Oscar hopefuls, like, really flamed out that year. So it was like, well, we're not going to give it to Bobble. F that noise. Right. <laughs> I mean, Little Miss Sunshine's a fun story, but, like, you know, all of a sudden this big blockbuster studio movie comes out of nowhere because even Warner Brothers wasn't really going to campaign for it until it kind of happened kind of happened and fell their way. Yeah, but, and that type of movie uh, almost never wins an Oscar. You know, the kind of indie yeah. comedy. You, it, it'll yeah. get a nod and that's one usually for as far as it goes. No, I mean, I mean, Coda's not really a comedy, but like that's sort of like what could have happened. Like Little Miss yeah. Sunshine probably was closer to winning that picture than we'd think, but like, I think they also just like, well, it's just time to honor Marty. You, and the Scorsese karaoke thing stems from like just the song choices, you know, because he's used the same Stone songs and Goodfellas. I think one of them's in Casino at least, but 
Right. It's, it, was, it felt like it's going to the well again, except now it's Boston instead of New York. That, that's sort of where it gets a bad rap. And just he's as the bar was higher for him than it would be for anyone else. If anyone else in the departed, you think masterpiece, but then because it's Scorsese, it's like, well, we've been down this road before. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I, I just, I, this whole makeup Oscar thing kind of drives me nuts with, it's like, okay, I get it. Like you think, either Goodfellas or Raging Bull or Taxi Driver should have gotten an Oscar, fine. But that's the past. It's over. All right? And let's take a look at the six movies, or now the ten movies, that are up this year. And just because Marty has the best one doesn't mean that that you should take that away from The Departed. I I never really got that with with The Departed. We we see it all the time with people who just like to put the tag makeup. It's a classic point, too. Like, because everyone thought, oh, it's going to happen for Gangs in New York, but, like, no one really loved that movie. So it's like, okay, fine, we can go elsewhere with it. I wouldn't have gone to plan to see myself. That was a bad pick, but still. Um, and then in 04, like, it really felt like it was going to happen, but then all of a sudden Clint comes out of nowhere like very late in the year and steals it. Yeah, and then they, they trade spots the next year with the, you know, Clint has Iwo Jima and, and you know, huh? Departed is Departed's there for the, the taking. So And then, you know, Leo kind of gets that tag too with his with his Revenant performance, which I happen to really like. I, I know what uh, Yeah, me too. God damn it. I, I wish he hadn't won for that. Like, he, he should have won for Wolf. That should have been the Oscar. Yeah. See, now you're doing it too, though, with the makeup Oscar, though. You know, it, I mean, <laughs> if, I, like, if I had, I know, like, I kind of, like, I just, the Revenant's not my favorite. Like, I'm really annoyed that Inariki got best director for it. Like, yeah, that should have been George Miller's Oscar. I know oh, he has okay. one for Happy Feet. Yeah, big uh, Mad Max guy. Segwaying that into Leo's performance in this one. Where do you fall in the lead? Who's the lead in this? Should Leo have been up for lead? Should he have? Did you agree with him being categorized as supporting? What What do you think on that one? Oh, it's so tough because it's it's a true ensemble. Um, but if uh, Wahlberg was correctly submitted as lead, I think what happened was that like they could have submitted Leo for supporting, but he said no, I'm a lead, which is why the Blood Diamond thing happens. The production companies were pushing for Blood Diamond as the lead, and they wanted Departed as the supporting. It was the same production company who did both movies, so they wanted him mm-hmm. kind of in that dual nomination, similar to like a Scarlett Johansson from about a couple years ago, Jojo Rabbit, and and Jamie uh, and Marriage Story. Yeah, uh, Jamie Fox. Yeah, the uh, Collateral and Ray Yeah. So it, and then he stepped back and said and declined the to campaign for the nomination or decline the nomination altogether or supporting because he didn't want to get in the way of his, of his mm. counterparts. And, and, and this it happened to be Wahlberg in this respect. But I, I kind of view him and Damon as dual leads. I know some people don't think that there is dual leads or dual leads should exist, but um, I was just wondering kind of where you thought on that. If you think you, you that's, see him as a lead. That's the whole point is that they are the dual leads. Like the whole, uh, the whole bit of the movie. What's the, uh, the, what the original is like infernal affairs. I want to be you. Like, they're mirrors of each other. Chauncey, do you think Leo should have won for The Aviator? Oh. I mean, my true winner didn't get nominated the year. That should have been Paul Giamatti's Oscar for Sideways. Oh, but that's the whole baby. Thing. Love that. Love that. Yeah, like, it drove me insane. Like, you're going to nominate Clint over Giamatti? Sure. Or Johnny Depp over Giamatti? Fine, yeah, I, I take a greater issue with the Johnny Depp nom- Was that, that was Finding Neverland, right? It sure was. Yeah. It was the Halo nom after Pirates. It's like, hey, we. I actually still- think I actually think Clint is pretty underrated in in Million Dollar Baby. I think that's one of his oh. better performances. I'm pretty sure like, Clint also. Can, I'm pretty be- sure he's allowed to nominate himself at this point. <laughs> I know. Well, just like you're, he's already submitted as a producer and a director. Like I would have just much rather had uh, Giamatti in for uh, lead uh, over Clint or uh, 
or Depp, but whatever. Yeah, I, I do agree with you there. Giamatti was, you know, an incredible, incredible performance. As far there, as sideways. Leo, yeah, I would. That would have been a good win for Leo. I think. Uh, I think that should have been his first best doc, best actor winner. Yeah, I would agree. And frankly, frankly, Jim Carrey should have been in the mix there too for Eternal Sunshine. Yes. Oh, there we go. Carrey should have been in the mix. I mean, 100%. Bruce with Collateral as well. Like it was just kind of a it was another weird year. Yeah, great year, great year in that category. Yeah. Like, even, as much as I like Jamie Foxx, I still wouldn't have given it to him for Ray. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I lean towards that too. Um, like it's one of those I'm happy he has one, but like I don't like the I don't like Ray as a movie and his performance is like fine, but there's better versions of playing a musician. Like Robbie Malik, I'm in the same boat with Robbie Malik. Like I like Robbie Malik uh, as an actor, but like God damn it, not for fucking. Uh, uh, no, Bush. not for that. Like. God, and I think that really messed him up too. Because, like, yeah, he's in the Eddie Redmayne territory now, where people are just like upset that he has one. So, like, it was kind of gone. I think I think Walk the Line is a phenomenal. uh... Yeah, that would have been a good one for Joaquin. Yeah, like rather have him have him win for that than Joker. Like, I hated Joker. Dude, I hated Joker, dude. Yeah, I I stand by the performance though. I think he. I'm okay with him getting it getting it for the for the performance because the flaws of the movie i don't think played into what he what he brought to the stage there i know and it's just like also i get it you lost weight cool like <laughs> leah would have won for that uh, one that year instead yeah but, um okay so getting uh, back toward the the movie in the year would it give you a, a, give us some general thoughts on on how we handled this thing three years ago it was the first podcast we ever did uh, as a, a really any of us did. So it was just the two of us kind of sitting in the same room we're in here today. We haven't recorded in this room since that day. It was uh, it was exactly three years ago, believe it or not. It was October 30th, 2019. So a year and two days, uh, three years and two days, believe it or not. So um, yeah. general thoughts on listening to that. Is that's a, that is our pilot episode. And it was a good pilot episode. Like, you know, my, my pilot episode, I was fucking drunk during it, honestly. And it, <laughs> well, yeah, did dude, you get did, to the end of you, ours? <laughs> did you hear our episode? I was hammered. No, no. I was, I got bad towards the end because, like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I, I uh, we baseball, we go football. Dude, like, no, it was I wasn't awesome. even speaking English by the, the end of I guess of the difference episode. is already didn't have to host. So he was just kind yeah. of along for the ride. <laughs> I really appreciate the discussion though, because there were things that like I had never really thought about, like um, the like fact what? that like Colin Sullivan might have been like you know closeted. I'm like, oh, I never thought about that actually. That makes that there's a good read on that. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, we like, j- just explored that a little bit here because I think we were kind of deb- just kind of kicking it out there and little. Sure. This time around, I, I can I can see some of those signs a little bit because I hadn't heard that. At the time, I hadn't heard that till Artie brought it up on the podcast. So watching it this time around and kind of looking out for, him, like, ooh, there's some, there's some evidence and, there. Like I had just never heard that take before, and it's actually kind of fascinating because <sighs> it make it gives a whole another layer to Damon's performance too. The one thing that, that, that stuck out to me and why I reached out to you guys in the first place was just like your awful good tip, good fellas takes. That really that hurt my feelings. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> listen. I could have done a better job explaining my Goodfellas takes on that episode, but man, my feelings are true. I, I since that episode, I've seen Casino, and at the time, I had not seen Casino. Mm. I like Casino more than Goodfellas. I've I've seen a lot of like Casino better than Goodfellas takes, and as much as I like Casino, and I do, um, I just never understood it. I just really love the vibe of Goodfellas a lot more than Casino, you know, and. If you like Casino better, it's fine. But just I, Goodfellas is so much fun to me. 
even when it gets super dark. I really just love how kinetic it is. More, and I know Casino's by design supposed to be more, I guess, more traditionally made movie. And like, I appreciated the Irishman more. Um, also, by the way, just <laughs> than Casino, but I under, but that's because there's so much baggage that goes into the Irishman. But yeah, that's a movie I, I think we've shot on a little bit in the past. <laughs> in the past, too, I'll say on Goodfellas, you know, because I was kind of on the sidelines a little bit on the episode. Like, I, I since have seen that. Uh, a few times since we recorded that one and you know we have our, our gangs of goodfellas episode which we did like five episodes later where we kind of tackled into it a little deeper and some of our guys over here who who love goodfellas kind of went at Artie a little bit and i was more or less on Artie. so i've every time i've seen the movie since i've kind of grown on it a little bit and, and i like it a little better and I, I totally see why people consider it to be the the masterpiece that that many say it is the voiceover thing was one of your big well your big critiques right yes yeah what are your thoughts uh-huh. on that so for me, it works. The reason why the voiceover works in this and it doesn't in say Casino is because in Goodfellas, it it feels like the audience like met, like ran into Henry Hill at like a diner and he just wouldn't stop talking to you. <laughs> that makes sense. That's exactly why I didn't like it. Yeah, like the guy at the diner it. bothering me. I'm trying to eat my grilled cheese with bacon. But that's what I appreciate. It's like you know, like the little sides, like uh, Tutti Cicero. Like it just feels like he's talking to the audience, and it's like I, I ran into this weird dude at a diner, and he happened to be a, like in the ga- he happened to be a gangster. Yeah, or, right. Or his casino doesn't work because like I don't really know who like De Niro is supposed to be addressing, even though like I, again, casino is awesome and it rules, but like it doesn't work the same. Mm. Like, that's where it, and it feels like flatter to me, even though um, like I, I like what Pesci's doing in Goodfellas more than I did in Casino. Like, um, and it's not that he's playing the same character, but like, I just like Tommy DeVito better than, um, than his character in Casino. Yeah. And you know what, to bring it back to, to Million Dollar Baby here, because there, you know, and I do briefly mention Million Dollar Baby as a, an example of a movie that I think is, has great voiceover and it's Morgan Freeman again. And, um, my, my explanation got cut off a little bit because of <laughs> some, some, um, just some meandering conversations that didn't that didn't uh, make it to air but basically it's it's about what you just said about knowing what the direction and the point is of the voiceover and who it's addressing and one of the things i love in million dollar baby is is that it ultimately ends up being a, a letter that morgan freeman is writing to 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 frankie clint eastwood's character's daughter and that it all kind of ties up in that sense right so it's not just let's get the guy from Shawshank Redemption to just, you know, talk over this movie. It has, it, it has a payoff. And, and there is a bit of that in Goodfellas too, with the testimony at the end. And I, I think where it gets a little hazy for me in mm-hmm. Goodfellas is when it switches over to Lorraine, Lorraine Bracco. And now all of a sudden oh, she's doing voiceover. Right. And it's like, now we're starting to get a little cartoony with it. And, and, you know, I, I don't know. And I think, you know, sticky. Yeah. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that one? I like it though. Cause at, at the same time, I could also see like you met both of them at the same diner because they were married for until 1989. So it's like, Oh, I, I, you know, she gives her thing like, like, Oh, I, I couldn't stand him. Like, yeah. Okay. Like that happens. Like when couples tell a story about how they met, like it's never like, you don't like Harry met Sally, right. When they're doing the interviews. Right. Yeah. I'll talk over each other. It's kind of like that. Like I like that vibe. And as her describing the wedding, I'm like, I've been to those weddings. Like I have a lot of, I had a lot of family in New York. 
I a thousand percent understand the Peters and Pauls and, the, and the, all the all the girls named Marie. It also just felt I because uh, like my dad's whole side of the family is Italian, so like it's one of those I also just super related to a lot of it. Yeah, and I mean, listen, <laughs> we're, we're nothing foreign to us over here out on Long Island. Like we're we're maybe a little too I, close to the subject. I, 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 I will go on record, like half my family's Italian, my wife's Italian, my kids are Italian. I'm not Italian, so I didn't have that growing up. I don't, you know, that whole high energy. You're just like, you, you used a great word, kinetic, uh, that that kinetic vibe. But now now I'm in it and it's. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a lot, and that's why I'm like, oh, I totally like, even though like none of them are like in the mob, but like I've met my fair share of like Tooties and Paulies and Frankie Carbones. Definitely, I've met a lot of Frankie Carbones in my day. Right. So like, it felt very lived in, and I really appreciate that. And you know, the sequences like the Copacabana is awesome. I mean, the Layla, the whole Layla thing is incredible. It's so freaking well made and like it's been so ripped off since that like if you come into it late it feels diluted and that also gets back to like why people felt the departed was the way it was because like it just felt like it felt diluted compared to like other like other things so what is scorsese ripping himself off with the departed you know you're if you're the artist creating it you could do what you want i agree i agree but you know how it is like sometimes like oh he like it's like Spielberg's making another movie about like about aliens or whatever, or always making that. <laughs> you know what though? I I just I think all of that stems from Gimme Shelter. I, I don't think yes. I don't I don't think that people say that if Gimme Shelter isn't in both movies. 100%. And and I kind of look at the Gimme Shelter representation as connective tissue more than anything, and I think it just works really well in that opening montage that Scorsese is doing. And, and what's What's wrong with winking at the fans of your filmography a little bit and saying, hey, you know, remember when we did this? Well, you know, this is how this movie's starting. But it's a different movie. And it really is like, I don't, I don't really see that many comparisons from Goodfellas to The Departed once The Departed gets cooking. Totally agree. Right. I think it also has to do with like, you know, so after Goodfellas, it's like, okay, he does Cape Fear. That's kind of fun. And try something new with Age of Innocence. And then... You know, Casino, it feels like going back to the well. And, and he's like, oh, he's just doing taxi, like a, um, a flip version of Taxi Driver with uh, Bringing Up the Dead. And then Gangs in New York, it's like, oh, but it's a gangster story, but it's a period piece. He's trying to win the Oscar. Aviator, it's an old Hollywood piece, he, but he's trying to win an Oscar. And then you get to The Departed, and it's like, well, that didn't work for him. So I guess he's just going back to the well again. <laughs> like, yeah, but the, that's, the, this, I, that's another one people love to say, well, you're trying to win an Oscar with that one. But the funny part is, is like, he wins the Oscar with the movie that he has basically came out and said that he never expected it to even be nominated for one Oscar, let alone win. Hey, said it was the first movie he made that, that he felt had a plot. Yeah, and it's like, okay, so then he wins, and people criticize it for that. It's like, oh, well, he just got it because it's a makeup. It's like, all right, so you didn't want him to make the period piece that could have been Oscar bait, and then he went a, a route where he's just saying, you know, I'm going to... I want to go back to my root, my James Cagney roots, and do a movie like that, and then it wins, and it's it's just I, I feel like you know Oscar pundits never are happy. That's why we're not a who should have won podcast here. Furthermore, <laughs> like when you get to like Wolf of Wall Street, it's like oh man, all Scorsese makes are movies about criminals, even though that's absolute horseshit. <laughs> like, yeah, but and I, I think it's a good thing for a director to have like some common threads sure. and themes running through their their movies because. I mean, listen, they're auteurs, and that's what, I mean, you don't think like a Stephen King doesn't have some common threads through, oh, through the absolutely. stories and themes he's trying to tell, or, you know, or, or Quentin Tarantino. I mean, there's... I mean, the, the, the Coen brothers. Coen brothers, David Every, Lean. every I mean, Coen brothers movie is people stumbling upon some riches by chance, and then 
like a briefcase right. or something. And that's the whole movie is that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you like, know, people miss the forest or the trees with him because he's such a Titanic figure. Um, and especially when he didn't have an Oscar, it was always there was always that era of like, well, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Like, I can't believe like one of the greatest filmmakers of the last like 40 years since he won an Oscar. And then he does. And then like, OK, cool. He's having fun with like Shutter Island. And then um, Hugo, it's like, oh, he's the it's lo- love letter to cinema. Great. Wonderful. And he's also playing with 3D, which people, people doesn't get enough credit for how much he likes to play with technology. Oh, he doesn't. Yeah. I totally um, agree. But, and, he's at the forefront of that. He's He's using stuff. Before yeah. other people adopt it, Wolf too. Wolf is a huge techno a techno movie because of the, he's him doing like a lot of CG, it's a lot, a lot of the digital tidal wave and all that, and digital yeah. and the digital filming, and yeah. just the way. And Wolf is also like probably one of the funniest movies um, he's made, and certainly one of the funniest movies the last did, like bar none. So Chauncey, I have not seen Wolf of Wall Street. Oh my god! Okay, so but, some 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 people tell me I'll love it. And people like Kieran go, eh, I don't know that you'll love it. I think, so, you'll th- I think you'll lump it in more with Goodfellas. I have seen a lot of parts of Wolf of Wall Street, and it's Leo is phenomenal. Like, he's, yeah. he's really above and beyond in that. And I've seen some hey. behind-the-scenes stuff where they're like, okay, go. And, like, he's walking through the office, and he just kills it. But oh, I my have, God. I, I, straight through, I haven't seen it. And I got it's on my list. One of those movies, like... I mean, it's what everyone else is doing that's so damn funny too. Like the scene where he go, like Leah goes to Spike Jones at the uh, the Investor Center, and like Spike Jones just kills it for like five minutes, and he's so funny. Yeah, like, Rob Reiner uh, has some has some, uh, some some hot moments in that too. Reiner, well, yeah, Reiner getting interrupted watching the Equalizer is incredible. I've just seen, also, I've, just seen I've seen now. I've seen the scene with Rob Reiner where he's like. Twenty thousand dollars on sides. He's like, "What do they cure cancer?" And they, <laughs> Jonah Hill's like, "Yes, they cure cancer. That's why they were so expensive." It's one of those movies I can think about any scene, and there's going to be like five things that just make me laugh. Like with the way the ways the expressions are, the way stuff is filmed, it's even more kinetic than like Goodfellas is. Like the scene, like the IPO, the Steve Madden IPO scene that Spielberg helped helped uh, direct was is amazing. Like. It's like holy shit! Like Scorsese is in his seventies, and like George Miller would with Mad Max Fury Road. It's like he's putting like filmmakers that are like twenty, thirty years younger than him to shame with how like well it's made. I saw an what? interview with Jonah Hill on Howard Stern, and Howard Stern asked him, "What is it about Martin Scorsese that's so special?" And Jonah Hill said, "There's a lot of logistical and practical issues with getting certain shots on on set. Martin Scorsese will put his hands in his face, give it like thirty seconds, and come out with a solution that it would take weeks for a younger director to think of. And it's it's a skill you can't teach someone. You have to just learn it from doing. And Scorsese has so much more experience directing movies." that he just has this innate ability to solve problems. Like an example is like in, in, in the third act of Wolf of Wall Street, there's a part where Jonah Hill said, this scene's great. And Martin goes, well, I, it doesn't make sense in the movie. And he put his head in his hands for 30 seconds and he goes, but if we add this in the first act, it makes this work in the third act. Just stuff like that you can't teach, that you need experience to learn. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, Chauncey. Before uh, you hopped on, we kind of me and already looked at some points we made in the in the first the first episode of this, and 
and we kind of called some hits and misses. And I had one big hit that I thought already had that I kind of saved for a little later. I texted him today. I said, well, you know, you have made one really good point in this that I, that I liked, and I think now's a good time to bring it up, is, is, is that Leo and Marty both have these kind of careers where everyone knows they're great, and everyone sees that they're basically, quote-unquote, Hall of Famers, and they're exceptional in their field, and some of the best that have done what they do. But when you take any one piece of their filmographies, that's not the one, nah, don't give it to that one, give it to that one, don't give it to that. And it's odd to me that they're kind of both similar in that way, where, you know, when you look at Leo's, all of Leo's performances, like, yeah, some people's Aviator's their favorite, and some people, Depart is their favorite, some people, Wolf of Wall Street's their favorite, some people, The Revenant's their favorite. But there's always enough debate there where it's like, I don't know that that one quite speaks for his entire filmography. And I feel like Marty's the same way. You know, there, there's Raging Bull people, and there's Taxi Driver people, and there's Departed people, and there's there's Wolf of Wall Street people. But it is, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that their two careers kind of have that parallel nature to them with with that what do you think on that no that's 100 percent true and like they both had to kind of go away for a minute for different reasons like scorsese is getting out like after new york new york that after that collapse he had to kind of go away for a couple of years and make raging bull and he was okay with leo it was um you know he was he became a supernova star for um you know for titanic and that kind of clouded the next few years right because like and he had celebrity and the man in the iron mask were before Titanic, but they came out afterwards. You know, um, they were, it's like, here's the heart, here's heart throb Leo. And then he does the beach and that's a good disaster. And like, he has to kind of retool for a little bit. And then he gets up, he decides I want to work with like the best directors I can. And it took him for a long time. Like not, not just with me, but like other people, like for them to take him seriously, almost, even though he had an Oscar nomination for Gilbert Grape. It felt always like, oh, he's, you know, a pretty but he's a boy. kid. He's a little kid at that point. Uh, and it also didn't help that he looked like a boy until Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, even though, like, he's good in Gangs in New York, but, like, obviously Daniel Day-Lewis is, like, the best, like, the best part of that movie. Maybe uh, John C. Reilly is the other part, but you know what I mean? How did your stomach like, uh, Artie's Gangs in New York takes? You know, gang, Gangs in New York is fine. Like, I understand. I, I agree with him on it, though. Like, it's kind. Of, it is kind of a mess. I mean, uh, I, I've seen it since that podcast, and yeah, I just have and a hard like, time getting Leo, through it when I watch it. Yeah, now. Leo did it already. Then it's like, okay, well, he does the Aviator, and like, oh, Leo's doing an accent, and he's doing, he's like doing kicks, even though that's not really true. It's a really good nuanced performance. Yeah, and even the part, like Blood Diamond, is like, oh, he's doing an accent, and you know, the Departed, it's he's it, he's holding, he's like, oh, he's trying to hold his on his jack. Like, it never felt like he was getting his due. And then after The Departed, that's when, like, actually, you know what? Leo's the real deal. And catch you if you can. He's incredible. In a, in yes, he is. Oh, he's great in that. That's on my Spielberg Mount Rushmore. And I, he's so good in it. And, like, it helps it. Like, probably the last Superboy-ish movie he did, you know, like, where he still looks like he's, you know, 18. And he, but he's so, so good in it. And then after that, uh, he got to do, I mean, it helped that uh, the movies are still hit, but like he got to be taken a little bit more seriously. Well, I guess while we're on the, on the topic here, because we don't have another Marty movie out of the best picture winners to cover. I don't believe we have another Leo either. I mean, we have Titanic. So unless we revisit Titanic, that'll take us quite a while to get there. What would be your Marty 
Mount Rushmore's and what would be your Leo Mount Rushmore's? I guess we'll start with start with Marty. I don't know, Chance, if you have yours ready and Artie, you can think I about do. yours. I do. Cool. So what's your Marty Mount Rushmore? It's Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, Silence, and Life Lessons. With, with Bringing Up the Dead as the, as the fifth. Okay. And what were your third and fourths again? Silence and Life Lessons. Cool. Wow. All right. So you got some deep tracks in there. Very nice. All right. Yeah, so buddy. for me, it's going to be, mine's a little more boring. I'm going to have The Departed on there, believe it or not. I'm going to have The Departed on there. I'm going to have Taxi Driver on there. I do believe that Goodfellas these days has has made mine. And I like to, every time I do this, I like to leave the fourth spot open until everyone goes so I can, in case I forgot something, I can slide back in. So, Artie, what do you have? Uh, what do you have as yours? Mine is for Marty. It's The Departed, The Aviator, Raging Bull, mm. and Taxi Driver. Mm. You know, can I, like, I've seen Taxi Driver a number of times, like, half out of obligation, half out of, like, I want to like this. I appreciate it. I understand why it was such a huge deal and why it still is. But, like, I don't like Taxi Driver all that much. Uh, you know what? I'm uh, kind of, the, those are my same thoughts on Raging Bull. Raging Bull, I can. It's one of those I can watch, but only every few years. Like I can't. It's not one I can just throw on because it's a lot. Like it's another one I like. I super respect, but like I don't actively enjoy it. That's the thing on on our podcast that Chris G constantly brings up. At some point, a movie has to be entertaining, and you have to want to watch it, like to be considered a great movie. Like, yeah, Raging Bull is great, but like I know what you mean. It's a lot of tough topics. I don't really want to just throw that movie on and sit back and chill and watch it. After you put the kids to bed, you're like, I'm super stoked to like, oh, crack open a beer and light up Raging Bull. I don't think so. <laughs> like, it's like, like, I just want to like chill and decompress. Like, that's why Wolf works so well. It's a super rewatchable because there's so many things you're noticing each time, and B, it's just so much fun. Like Jonah Hill playing off of, can play off of anybody, and it's great. Sorry, done. Jonah Hill's underrated. He's good. He's so funny. Every, a lot of movies he's in, he he steals the movie. And I got my fourth. Uh, my fourth would be Color Money with Paul Newman. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I've never seen that. That's one of those, like, I was like, I saw it once, like, years ago, and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And, like, I was like, it's been on, like, HBO, and, like, I've seen it a couple times in the last few years, and, like, it's great. Oh, man. Like, Cruz love- and Newman on screen together, just going, going, going mano y mano on it. It's great. It's great stuff. And my, my favorite thing about it, though, is that, like, you 100% believe that guys in their 30s are dressed like they're 70. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like Grady seasons every time, like you're dressing like your grandpa. Like what? What? Like is that just the pool? The pool shark uniform? Like it's so strange. That's awesome. Leo Mount Rush. Okay, Chance, so what you got here for your Leo? Wolf of Wall Street. He should have won the Oscar. As much as I love McConaughey, but it should have been Leo's. And then two would be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Love that. Three, Catch Me If You Can. And then four is The Departed. Wow. I have a Leo Maybe Mount Rushmore. Okay, Artie's ready to go. No, Chance, what were you going to say? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just like, and then like aviators like right underneath the departed. I love the aviator. Well, I'll, I'll give the aviator credit because it's on my Leo Mount Rushmore. It's aviator. It's departed. It's the revenant. And it's mm. Django Unchained. Already loves his Django. Django He's was number so one. Good in Revenant. It's really, I mean, in uh, Django, it's, it's ridiculous. Django was uh, number one on Artie's top 10 list there that we did. It's my favorite Quentin movie. Just we- really, mm-hmm. that's one of those. Like, it's I have fun watching it. Like, I just wish it were like maybe twenty minutes shorter. As much as I love Leo in it, like, um, I like the the, the one performance that grows on me more and more and more as I as I rewatch it is Samuel L. Jackson. 
Like that would have been my supporting actor winner for, for that year. Samuel L. Jackson is the best actor in that movie. He kills yeah, he it. He is great in that. He yeah. that might be it's his true. best performance. It is. And like it was great, but like sometimes like depending on what mood I am when I'm watching it, I'm like, eh, like the Calvin Candy stuff is like fun, but I also kinda wish it were I don't know what the I don't know how, what the word I would use. I would like not honed in because it's supposed to be super hammy, but like I wish it were a little more focused. Does that make sense? I get what you're saying. So the to me, there's a there's a behind the scenes tidbit about this movie. There's a scene at the table where Jamie Fox, you know, Leo, yeah. they're all at the table. Samuel Jackson's there. So there's a, a story about filming the scene where. They all do a few takes and Sam walks back into the kitchen to start the next take. And Leo turns to, you know, Christoph Waltz, Jamie Foxx. These are Academy Award winners. And and Leo goes, God, that guy's so fucking good at acting. And he's talking about Samuel L. Jackson. Like Samuel L. Jackson is the one that is is stealing those dinner table scenes when he's when he yeah. comes out with his facial reactions the other thing that bothers me about it like the more i watch them i'm like leo can't convincingly play dumb and like because calvin candy's like a moron but like leo is too smart of an actor if that makes sense where i can't believe him playing like a dumb person like jesse eisenberg suffers from this too and like goldblum's like suffers from this too like Guys, you like I don't buy you as being dumb. He relies on Samuel L. Jackson to be his brain almost. Like that's his advisor. Yeah. Right. And like it's totally clear, like he's the descendant of wealth. Like he's he has no skills. He is he's a moron. Right. Like you you can see it. And like Samuel L. Jackson makes it better because it's like, well, no, he's like buttressing it. Like he pushes him towards like, hey, Django's like full of shit. Like <laughs> Remember um, you remember you were saying at the beginning of the uh, episode what what you look for in a movie like you want drama but you want heart but you want laughter. Mm-hmm. My favorite things in a movie are revenge stories, rags to riches, and love stories, and this has all three of those. That's why it's my favorite Quentin movie. My yeah. Leo Rushmore before we, before we move on. Mine's very boring. Uh, it starts with J. Edgar. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's uh, no, I have uh, I have the one that Twitter loves to hate is uh, the Revenant is in mine. Uh, I'm sharing your slot there with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I have The Departed on there, and I have Titanic. So those are my uh, those are my four. Again, a very a very boring Titanic one, but on because your- it's because it propelled his career. You can't you can't. I'm more about the the roles that define the person's career. You know, to your point with Titanic, like. It was one of those, like, if I were to play the game of, like, well, if I slotted in X for Leo, like, would it work? And probably not. Like, Titanic had, like, every piece had to work. And, like, Leo, like, Leo and Winslet, if, like, their chemistry is even off a little bit, then movie's not as good and it's not as big of a phenomenon. I agree. You and know, he Artie's, knows, Artie's not a big Titanic guy, so. Right, but I get the point that. If Jason Isaacs is in, <laughs> is in Titanic, it's uh, not Jason Isaacs. Um, who's our, exactly. speed, our speed two guy? Oh, um. Jason Patrick? Yeah. Yeah, if Jason Patrick, if Jason Patrick is in is in Titanic, we have a much different uh, I, I, I I get the point though. Like if you have a role with a weak script, like you need a very strong actor to make it work, and that's what Leo did in Titanic. Right. It's a true movie star performance and he yes, wasn't a movie right. star. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess, you know, you could say that, well, why isn't Raging Bull in my uh, in my Marty one? 
you know, if it's if you need the career definitive movies, says, well, I just don't like watching it. And I do like watching Titanic. I love Titanic. So it, it's a mixture of both. It's career defining and I enjoy watching it. So getting back to Departed. Any other uh, thoughts you had there about that? Some of the, you know, even some of the themes or, some, or, the, or the ending or anything you want to get out on the table? Uh, with you the departed. Know that, I mean, your discussion on the rat always kills me because I always think about the Simpsons episode where they do the departed. <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen the departed? Uh, I haven't, no. It's the departed, de- okay. de- is it you said? Yes. Yeah, okay. I have, uh, I'll, well, I'm going to go home like, and watch the, it now, but uh, t- yeah, talk yeah, to you about like, it. No, yeah, like Topher Grace is like the Leo part, and like Skinner has him infiltrate Bart's like a uh, group of friends to figure out what the next big prank is going to be. And so they do all the departed beats, and at the end, like a rat crawls across a fence, and Ralph comes out of the trash can. It's like, uh, the rat's a symbol for obviousness. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, it is. You know, it, it, we we definitely touched on. It. I mean, it's a little much. I mean, it, you, you're gonna have you're gonna have Jack like sketching sketches of a rat and say rat 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 constantly end on the rat. It's like, come on. Um, I forgot. Like, have you guys' opinion shifted on the Jack performance? Because like, I my mind changes each time, but I enjoy myself each time I see it. I think, oh, I think I'm Jack's all in amazing, and I'm not gonna change my opinion. Yeah, on that. he's amazing. And it's in this time around, it, it it really just fully fortified it for me. Like I didn't even it. It's now at the point where I'm not even seeing the blemishes that I thought were blemishes before. They're really I I I I think it's just it's a great kind of swan song for him because I mean what you only have like bucket lists and anger management after this. So this is like his last dramatic role. Anger Management 03, it goes bucket list, and then he has a, he's a, uh, in the beginning, he's in a little bit of How Do You Know, because it's a Brooks movie, and then he's gone. Right, so this is this is essentially his, his swan song. Bucket list is a paycheck. Um, you know, so this is really the, the end of Jack on the dramatic screen. The thing I always laugh at, because like, I know he and I are both huge Lakers fans, and I just love him doing the Boston accent almost you know, with contempt. Yeah, okay. Or like, mockingly. Cool. Yeah. Like, I appreciate that shit, and, like, I appreciate that he wouldn't wear a Celtics hat on set. I'm like, good man. I respect it. How, how's he doing? Does he still go to the, the, the Laker games, or is he getting too old for that? He's not a court set anymore. I think he's a, <clears throat> I think he's a few rows up, but, like, I think he's just really not been, like, a, he's been away from the public. I don't know if it's just him just, like, not wanting to be in the spotlight anymore completely, or if it's, like, he's, like, a, it's a deterioration thing. He prefers he prefers to to boo Russell West, Westbrook from home. Yeah, pretty much. Like, <laughs> Are you a Lakers fan, Chauncey? Sadly, yes. <laughs> well, that's isn't that funny how that's how it, now it's a sadly I am. You know, I mean, we we grown up the Lakers with Kobe and and Shaq. That's like they're like the Yankees of basketball. I know. I mean, they won that twenty twenty title, which I cherish, but like at the same time, the aftermath has just been ugly. Covered the party pretty good. Chauncey, do you have any take? Do you have any opinions on takes that we made in the episode that you like really were very against that you haven't brought up yet? I haven't brought up yet. No, that's a weird thing. I was like, mostly when I was listening to him, like that's why I like you guys. I'm like, I'm not. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm with that. I mean, I disagree with you on Vera Farmiga. I think she's actually really good in it. Like that's the one. That's a performance that I really appreciated more on rewatch. Because at first you're just kind of like, okay, well, what's this person's deal? Like, oh, okay, like actually a really interesting performance so we re retouched on some stuff before we got you on uh as a as a guest co-host and one of the things i brought up is i there's a lot of improv in this movie and i feel like she is not as strong at improv as you know leo or damon or or jack nicholson and i think it kind of comes off as uncomfortable for me maybe it's it's my take 
But I, I, I don't know. Like the date scene in particularly where he asks, like, would you lie if he walked in right now? Her her right. her her vibe in that is I don't know. It doesn't feel natural to me. I, I get it. I know I'm in the minority, but I and I love this movie, but actually you're not. Most people are like, oh, she's bad in it, or she's just not good in it because her accent kind of dips in and out. Like oh, I, right. I think, and I think I've, I'm trying to remember which one of you had this, but like I kind of like Martin. I don't like Martin Sheen as much in it as um, as you guys did. Um, like he's fine, but like his accent is like really like Thirty Rock Boston. He's the he's the biggest offender, in my opinion. He's the biggest offender of the of the of the accents. Um, I do kind of, I do kind of like his, his aging dad vibes though. You know, oh, like he's so like, you know, he's got like my, my son's at Notre Dame, you know, it, it, he's, he's just got that like. Any of you guys got a light? Yeah. I, I, I just like him, you know, like I'm rooting for him in the movie, you know, he's, he's just, he just makes me happy, you know, but yeah, performance wise, I think you're, you're kind of on with that. And I'm, I'm a huge, huge Vera Farmiga um, proponent, not just in this movie, but in general, I, I love her. As an actress, uh, I, I mean, one of uh, her and Up in the Air. She's great. In Up I mean, the air. I'm just say that's that one of my here. biggest uh, Oscar hot takes is that she should have won over Monique in in Precious. I mean, I I love that performance. I think it's like a Hitchcockian performance. I think it's a throwback to the old, the old uh, Hitchcock female leads. I, I think she's a great actress, and and I, every time I see this movie, I like her more in it. You know, she's just endlessly attractive. That kind of helps too. So, so, is there is there another performance in there? Oh, 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 we didn't get your thoughts on Baldwin. What do you think of Alec Baldwin in this? I mean, he's great. I get, you know, it's, it's hard to defend Alec Baldwin these days. Well, in the in the film, there. let's see. Right, we're forget, we're in a we're in a we we die we dove we dove deep into 2000, 2006 here. We we don't we don't have to worry about twenty twenty two. He pitches he he pitches like two solid innings. He's great. Like he does what he needs. He, he's a great utility guy in it. Absolutely, he's the flame throwing middle reliever that yeah. comes in and just it just fills up the zone with hundred miles per hour. He does the seventh and eighth inning. He only throws fastballs and he gets six strikeouts. Hell yeah! And his mound celebrations are second to none after the strikeouts. Oh, and he leaves before it's <laughs> yeah. over. He doesn't care if they win or lost. He did good in his two innings. <laughs> Takes the jersey yeah. off and it's the showers. Yeah, that, that I, I texted Artie the side while I'm watching. That that punch he throws should be in in Cinema Hall of Fame. It's so I funny mean, you said that. to come me. Come over here. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Come over. I want to talk to you. <laughs> when he goes, you son of a bitch, you ruined this oh, whole fucking thing. When, uh, Kieran, when he first did that, I was like, ooh, I hope Kieran brings up this scene. And you sure enough. Real quick, I just also want to shout out Ray Winston. Like, that's a performance that gets better each time. Like, I love what he's doing. Yeah, that's, I mean, Artie's a, a huge Ray Winston guy, uh, this Mr. French. Oh, my God. He's he's amazing. He's, he's so fun. He's he's on screen with Jack the whole movie and Leo the whole movie, and he's he he's up there with them. Like he's just as good as them. Yeah, I'm the guy who decides if he's if he's a guy who can hit or if he guy who can't. He's not hit. quite a guy he can't hit, but he's almost a guy he can't hit. I'm and gonna make a call and beat the <laughs> shit out of him because I can hit anyone the fuck I want. I love that they give him a little side story too. Right. Like they just they randomly show him strangling his ex wife. Like, no, what? also Jack and him hate each other in real life. Oh yeah, they didn't get along on set at all. But yeah. it—that's the best part about this whole creative process that engulfed the Departed. They didn't get along at all, and there's no way to tell because on screen they're amazing together. Brilliant theater actor. <laughs> yeah. What does this movie look like with Al Pacino as as Jack? Oh, it doesn't work. Oh my God! Why? Yeah, that was that was the original like... thought. That was the original thought. No way. Yeah. yeah. But it instead, doesn't work. Instead, he did eighty-eight minutes. 
he, you know, I'm sure he'd want to work with Marty forever, and I'm glad they finally did, and it was it was worth it. Jack can do the kinetic thing more than Pacino can. A hundred percent. Like Jack, it's like Jack. It's like just roll with it. Like he, uh, you can just do. You can just create stuff. I don't see Pacino doing that. He's more stayed. Hundred yeah, percent. Jack being Jack is is kind of like an overused. That's term like saying Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey. But it's, it's like, like okay, it works every time. But it does work for those. I don't know that Al Pacino being Al Pacino works for every movie. No, it you know, it's kind of like a, she had a great ass. Like heat, heat. It works. Like any given Sunday, it works. But then there's diminishing returns each time he goes super big. <laughs> no, he he needs a tight script and a director telling him how to act. Al Pacino going off and just doing his thing is. Is, 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 right. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's 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 eighty eight minutes. Risky is one of the worst things gamble. I've ever seen. Yeah, right. <laughs> Trivia question here, Chauncey. You have a, a question for uh for each of us here. See if we can get it here. I, I don't have a ton of confidence in us in this. I have you know? zero confidence in myself. Um, but I'm but I'm gonna I'm gonna Mine hope for the best here. So do you have why don't you give uh Artie his Mine first super All right, your first question. Again, super dumb. I'm sorry if you get it instantly. But um what is Queen's first name? Kevin? Nope. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna let Artie take the L on that. I'm not. I'm gonna pretend I know and and just what, what was it? Oliver. Oliver. Wow. I never would have. Did they that. say that? They do. I swear to God, they say it once. I believe wow. you. I believe you. Wow. Okay. Artie got a tough one there. All right, what, what a um, really good question. Um, Thanks, Chance. I'm, I'm scared. Mine's gonna be even tougher here. All right. What do you got for me, Chance? Dignam's first name. Dignam's first name. I know this. Artie, you know it, huh? All right. Okay. Uh, hold on a second. Oh man, I don't. I really don't know. Is it? Uh, is it Walter? No, I think Irish. Oh, what do you got, Artie? Jack. No, it's Sean. Sean Dignam. Wow, I thought it was Jack. Dignam. Wow, they don't spend a lot of time on first names there. I really good, thought uh, I knew that. Well, we'll just edit this out. Good call. We, <laughs> well, I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that this trivia section is going to have offers for me going real deep into it. Wow. But, uh, good Sean good job Dignam. with that. Would have been obvious. Good job with that. Um, we're going to go to uh, the awards revisited now. Here we go. So MVP, Artie. So we're going we're to say what we had as our MVPs for the original one, and then we'll uh, we'll see if you're going to keep it or not. So Artie, you had Matt Damon as your MVP yeah. for your original one. Are you, are you locking in on that or are you switching it up? No, I'm changing it. Okay. Because I had it in as his character. Okay. Uh, I'm going with Leo. Leo. Okay. I had Leo as my MVP. I'm keeping Leo as my MVP. Uh, so, Chance, I'm going to pass it to you next. Who's your MVP for The Departed? Leo. Okay. So, that's a clean sweep there. Leo for The Departed. This is where it gets trickier here is, is LVP. And we were both kind of scratching our heads a little bit, it seemed, uh, on this one. Artie, you had your as your LVP. Uh, you think you went uh, Vera Farmiga as your LVP. What did you uh, ultimately, were you keeping that or are you switching it up? I'm switching it. Okay. So in the first episode, Kieran specifically told me that, you know, you can't pick someone like Jack Nicholson's girlfriend because she's not really a main character. As our podcast has evolved, that is exactly what the LVP category has become. It is be it is the it is the character that is the least relevant, the most poorly written, the least effort went into them, and every movie. That's what we end up picking, especially me and Joey. Yeah, and that's uh, hard so to I'm argue. Going, we, we've I'm evolved. Going, I'm going with Jack's lady. We've evolved a bit. What can I say? I'm gonna. I went with. Uh, I went with Barrigan. It was my original one. Uh, who's 
the uh, the actor that comes in and and uh, he's kind of the surprise twist at the end. I'm going to double down on that. I'm going to keep him. Um, I think some of my arguments as to why that was the LVP on the episode were a little bit uh, a little bit hypercritical and maybe convoluted. But I think it's ultimately as I just don't really love that actor James Badgedale. He was he was oh, Jack really? Jack's like son-in-law in in 24. He's dating Alicia Cuthbert in that. I just really don't love the actor. Uh, what, you 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 had a reaction there, Jones. What was that? Oh, James Ed Dale is really good. He just he isn't utilized properly. Like he's someone who like could have been a movie star, but I don't understand what happened there. Yeah, and that's kind of I think kind of comes through in this way. He's he's really good in flight. Uh, he's kind of like the sickly guy in the in the hallway in that movie. But uh, I I just don't I actually just don't love the you mean the call don't pilot? love the placement. No, no, he's like the he's like the the um the guy in the hospital. He's like a, a very small role in it. But uh, yeah, so he's he's my LVP in this. I feel like. There could be a more impactful actor in that spot. They don't ask him to do anything, though. That's sort of the problem. Is like agreed. You're kind of, you're like, well, who the hell? Is, like, it's not James Edgedale's fault necessarily. Like, there isn't anything to that character, and because like they don't want to tip their hand that like, oh, he'll come back. Later. It's very, it's very plot servicey. Thinly written. Yeah. Yeah, it's not his fault because it's like, well, what am I going to be given to do? Right. Yeah, but the entity of him and his character is is kind of where and, and if there, it, that, that's kind of ultimately one of my main criticisms of the movie is is that when you're gonna have that big twist and listen, it still works because it's like it's this exciting ending. But if you really look down it on paper, it's like, well, wait a minute, wait, like so so Bulger Whitey Bulger had this guy and this guy knew about colin matt damon uh, but matt damon didn't know about him it just kind of doesn't really make a whole ton of sense if you really sit down and analyze it in in my opinion Trance, who's your lvp the rolling stones <laughs> Artie is not Chauncey, gonna argue on that one my ears just went up <laughs> do you not like the rolling stones no i like them fine but i don't i feel like they hold them they hold the movie back because i would if they had just if marty had done different songs um, even different Stone songs, I think it's perceived a lot better. Just because he can only do "Gimme Shelter" and um, uh, what he does "Gimme Shelter." What's the other one? There's another one he does. It's like okay, you've done this before. Like that's a bit. That's like the big sticking point when people call it Scorsese karaoke because there's the big montage to "Gimme Shelter" for him. My my favorite part is that "Gimme Shelter" isn't even a Rolling Stones song. It's a cover. I know. That's how bad the Rolling Stones are, though. Yeah. Like their biggest song is a, one of their biggest songs is a cover. I mean, there's some like Aerosmith. Like they're my they're my LVP because if there were diff- a different band, like any different band, and a different song choice, I think it's looked at in a much better light. You God, really I, alerted Artie's uh, sensibilities LVP. there. That uh, honestly, that's that's one of the smarter LVPs we've had in a while because that totally holds the movie back. And you know, this is why we have to invite other people on here because we're. <laughs> We often need some intelligent answers for some of these and questions. The acting ones, because I'm like, everyone's fun. Like Anthony Anderson's really fun. Like I right. can't think an LVP. Like I can't give Kevin Corrigan an, L- an LVP. There's not a bad performance in the movie. There really isn't. No. I no. I, went, I went with Jack's lady friend right. because they literally probably didn't write lines. She's not written well enough. Yeah. A few a few things. No, that's a that's a big that's a that's one of the knocks in Scorsese. A little unfair, but like not totally unfair. But he also gets some of the best performances of his entire career. I know. With I the know. Same method. The character's name is Gwyn, by the way, I believe. So participation award is one that we do. Is if you want to give a little love to one of the one of the uh, more insulary characters, shout him out, give him some love there. Who do you want to do? Chauncey, we'll let you go first here. Anthony Anderson. Anthony Anderson for participation. Love it. Love it. Love it. Party. Mr. French. He's amazing. 
Yes, you were very vocal about that in the in the pilot episode there. You wanted to keep talking about Mr. French. So it's so tough because, like as you said, there's just so many options here in this one. But uh, I'm going to just to keep my my double down going as I'm, I'm going with uh, with Vera Formiga in this one. Just kind of stay stay on brand and stay uh, consistent with it. I, I totally dig her performance. I think she I, I forget the word you use, Chauncey, but uh, I think you, you might have just said just just a real a real interesting performance. I don't remember the exact words you used. But it really is. There's a lot going on there, and there's enough to every time I see this for me to kind of pick some different ways to think about it. So I'm going with uh, Vera Formiga here. Time Machine recast. Take anyone from any era, put them into the Departed. Holy cow! Uh, this is uh, a little bit a little bit interesting here because again, we don't have uh, a ton of performances any of us disliked. So we're we're basically essentially pulling someone out. That uh, that would be there. Artie, you're, you've been a little bit excited about yours over there. Yeah, your yellow excited. pad. Excited. I just thought of it a little while ago. But ba- Barrigan, that's his character's name. Yeah. Okay. That'll be the same one that I'll be recasting too. Yeah. Uh, Todd from Breaking Bad. Uh, wow. Jesse Plemons. Just like a regular face, like a general generic. Where would you stick him? He's putting him in as Barrigan, as the uh, as the James Badgedale character. The guy who's going to invade Poland. I think the problem with that though is, is like it goes to like so like okay uh, like if you put Jesse Flemons in that role you're like oh Jesse Flemons is gonna kill somebody like it goes all the way <laughs> which he true which the character like does a, yeah but I think you don't for the twist you don't want it to, know, be, to be too like, sinister looking it takes the impact away is my point like uh, I, will, like I, I don't know if you guys were Friday Night Lights people but like ever since season two of Friday Night Lights like oh Jesse Flemons is a murderer. Yeah. Now I will say this is before Breaking Bad and Friday Night Lights. It, uh, same as Friday Night Lights. Yeah, you're it's right. probably right around the same time as Friday Night Lights. But it's, it's not. It's not. It, he's not a psychopath no. killer True. in Breaking Bad. It's year before, because the move. The you're right. No, it's, I think it's uh, no. It's that fall because like, I remember we had football then when it premiered. And like, and, had and, 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 and Departed premiered in September of that same of the same year. But I think as we're analyzing okay. this with like the legacies movies, like could that have been then been something that would have worked in 2006? But does it still work today with the person, the first viewer in 2022? The reason I think it does is because he has an innocent face, but he's a psychopath in Breaking Bad. So he's kind of got know that it, cross-eyed look. Though. We we know it works in Breaking Bad, so doing it a little earlier in Departed works. Okay. Or well, I I recast the same character. I wanted to pick someone who who kind of looked. Kind of looked innocent, but at the same time, might have had that darker side too. And uh, I picked Jeremy Allen White, who's the uh, the lead in in the Bear, and he's also Lip from uh, Lip from Shameless. I okay. think you, you, you give him the crew cut. Him as like a, as a cadet cop, he's he's a little undersized, so that might be a little bit of an issue. But I mean, we have some short cops out there, right? So uh, I don't know. Fun. What do you think about that one, Chance? That's an interesting one. Okay. He he would fit in there. He could fit in with like Leo's crew. Yeah, like he, he true. Could be like a like a third Costigan cousin. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I, I liked about him is he, he he could be the buttoned up. I mean, he's got I guess he's got that got the shameless poor side of the track ties a little bit. But can we talk about one casting decision that was made in the Departed that is phenomenal? Is Leo's crackhead cousin Corgan? Kevin Corgan. He's yeah. phenomenal. That's perfect casting. Perfect, perfect casting for this movie. Yeah, I liked him in this too. I like those scenes. Did you guys ever watch Grounded for Life? No, I've never seen that. Nope. Okay, well he's he play he plays um Donald Logue's like dirtbag brother. And it's like, yeah, perfect. Like same thing, like same kind of character, like in Super Bad as well. You guys got a MySpace? 
Okay. <laughs> that's, that's not him. No, no, no. The oh, I know one. that's not him, but it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. he's the guy who was hosting the party, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Brad, you better. Hi- I called the cops. You have to hide your gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so Chauncey, uh, time machine recast. Who? What role did you pick? So I want to recast Martin Sheen. Okay, recasting wow. Martin Sheen. Queen. This comes with a little bit of, little bit of hindsight, uh, a little bit of spotlight hindsight. But as the, for the role of Queenan, I would love to see Keaton do it. Ooh, oh man, like that gives that. me other guys' vibes though. So, so it would work. Like, no, like, no. Uh, I like it. I like this. I like it. Like I, because I thought about this. I'm like, well, who could like who could do? I'm like, Keaton can do a decent Boston accent. I'm like, he's really good in spotlight. He can be very serious, but also like be warm and stuff. And like, I just feel like he works better because Sheen goes too big. Yeah, it, true. And and you also have some Birdman vibes with him falling off the side of that building there. Yeah. <laughs> well, this one he doesn't get to fly away. Uh, scene of the movie, Charles. What was your scene of the movie? Oh my god, my scene of the movie is it's the first, it's the um, it's either the scene where Leo gets his hand beat or Leo goes in the bar with the cranberry juice, or Great it's one. um. The first, the first scene with Baldwin and uh, Wahlberg, and the you know, I, I keep uh, keep heads in the dock. I feed them shit and keep them in the dock. Yeah, like- yeah awesome. Already, I've seen the movie. My scene of the movie is the initial interview with uh, Martin Sheen, uh, Mark Wahlberg, and Leo DiCaprio. Wow. Okay. I'm 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 gonna be. Uh, man, this is hard because this is like I mean to me I, I want to pick the chalk answer and pick the you know the elevator scene with him taking Matt Damon down and. Him talking off Anthony we'll Anderson, taking him down. Uh, there's some, you know, you said this before, but that's that that comfortably numb scene being so memorable. As part of me wants to pick that too, but I'm going to go with the elevator scene. I, I just think that that's that just make takes this movie to the next level. It's just such an insane, wild ending that just works so well. I want you to give a a, a recommend out there, Chauncey. If you just watched Departed, what's a good little double feature you might throw out there with it? What do you think? Internal Affairs, the original. Wow. Okay. So watch the watch the original. I actually still have not seen. Oh wait. The original. So Chauncey, you've seen it. Yes. It's good. It's very good. Really? Right. Yeah. How does it compare to Departed? Um, I think it's better in a lot of ways. Like it's a lot more tense, but I really enjoy it. Like wow. it's much tighter. Better in a lot of ways. Holy fuck! I have to watch this. Before we wrap it up here, Chauncey, I just want to throw out there any thoughts on the other nominees that year that you want to uh, shout out. We had uh, Little Miss Sunshine, uh, Babel, Let- Letters of Iwo Jima. The only other nominee I liked that year other than The Departed was what? Little Miss Sunshine. Little I adore Miss Sunshine. It. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, Letters. And I think the other one that people love is the Guillermo del Toro, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, which was not nominated for Best Picture. Should have been. Yeah, I agree. It should have been, too. I don't think the queen needed to be in the mix. That's a, a Best Actress thing and, and should have been left there. But Chauncey, dude, we appreciate it. You know, we're, we're kind of breaking ground over here with us with doing this. We're still feeling out how we, how we want to do everything. But yeah. I appreciate you joining us, man. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Do you have any uh, plugs you want to just shout, shout out again your, your podcast and how people can find you a little bit? Financial. You can find me at uh, Twitter. I'm at, uh, at BigChance64. Um, LAFBnetwork.com for all your Ram stuff. And again, LA Confidential. We do football, movies, and superheroes. Chauncey, if you ever want anyone on your podcast for football, I would love to come on. I, all okay. I do is listen to is, is analytics and, and fantasy breakdowns. All right. Will do. Love it. All right. Well, Chauncey, thanks so much, man. Appreciate you uh, joining us. Uh, looking forward to talking to movies with you again soon. Okay, Arthur. We're getting to the end of, uh, of this thing here. What a journey. I mean, look at this. I'm sitting right next to you like I was back in the, uh, this is wild, back in the day. This is wild. 
We just had a guy on from L.A. This has come a long way from us just sitting here, me and you over an iPad. <laughs> Talking into my iPad. The- how's, your, uh, how's your RDBV level? Are you, you feeling a little better than you were on the, on the pilot or what? A lot better. I've had seven less beers. So. How'd that highlight go down? Your body didn't reject it or anything like that it would give you? No, I hide it in between the nine percenters. <laughs> uh, Artie, so I want to I wanna ask you here while, while we're still... Still got the live mic going. One to five. So we didn't do that back then. Performances here. What are we thinking here? Five. It's a five for me too. I, I don't think that's, I really don't think that's debatable. I think actually in many ways, I think this is kind of the definitive. I know people are going to disagree with this because of the whatever issues they have with, with certain roles in this. I think this is like the definitive five. Perf- performances. Yeah. Because it's definitive. Because is it, it's not only the, the incredible lead leads countless, plural countless support you have the the countless supporting every single supporting actor or actress is pulling their weight it's it's really just it, it's just spot on in my opinion but i give all that credit to scorsese you know when you get that many good acting performances out of one piece of art you're to credit how the movie looks how it's shot it's a vibe <laughs> <laughs> it is though it's a five yeah I, like I, the camera work is dynamic and phenomenal it, it at no point falters it is just there's pin pinhole pinhole shots where they zoom in to the pin to the pinpoint it works perfectly there's shots of damon in his office the lighting is phenomenal this is a five this is a this is a five yeah, I'm going to agree. And it's taken me like a little bit throughout the course of this podcast to kind of get a grasp of my opinions on film editing. And you know what, you know, I think for at least maybe the first season, I really just didn't have any grasp at all. And this is kind of like, yeah, this is good film editing or this isn't good film editing. But I did say on this po- this podcast, I did call out the film editing in this and like, it's pretty, it's pretty great. And Again, I I think this is as good as a film editing win as it gets, man. It's so Period. for a two and a half hour movie, this thing feels like it's ninety minutes. Dude, it's two forty, and it feels like it's uh, yeah, a hundred and twenty minutes. Yeah, it's just awesome, and yeah, it's a five for me on how it looks. It really is, um, and that leads us to themes, story, how it's told. It's a five, five it's an easy bro. Five, man. This is an easy five. So an I had easy a little five. bit of that. Uh, might be the strongest of the fives. It's performances and themes. I had a little bit of a of a uh, of a moment last night after watching this one, looking at my rankings, and I am the low man on the Departed, and in the and in only within the the BBC context. I mean, you know, listen, I'm plenty of people out there on the letter. I get it. Everything's relative. So I believe I had it out of the the forty five that we have. I think I had it at either 11 or 12. Do you think you would move that up now? That's the kind of moment I'm, I'm saying. I, I was looking at it, and directly ahead of it was Annie Hall. I know, Artie, you, you, give, me, you give me death stares here. But, I mean, it's just, it's just really hard. It's really hard in the sense of, like, you know, the, the, influ- the influencer and the influenced... And, you know, you're rolling your eyes. I know Granite Holmes. No, I'm not rolling my eyes. I'm not. That's not what I'm doing. It's just kind of like, do you you take the thing that got there first and made all these other things spawn from it? Or do you take the thing that kind of is a spawn of what came before it? And I feel like that's kind of what The Departed is. However, there's a bit of a culmination 
of stars in this. And I, I want to emphasize the word culmination because I do think that this is like that pinnacle moment for Leo where beyond this he's propelled. You know, it's aviator into this and then he becomes like Leo Megastar. Everything after this is a best picture nominee and he's up for best actor and this is everything the, after this this is the last everything this is for you know, this is like the end of jack nicholson and it's matt damon star making too is that matt damon kind of goes from this to be like mr franchise you know it's not hey i wrote my own movie and i'm funding my own movie and i'm starring in my own movie too oh i got cast in a scorsese movie and i'm killing it yeah yeah scorsese Damon's good, man. He's a good actor. So I'm gonna pull up my it, This is a hard thing here. It, it is. It's a hard thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna think it's gonna end up ten to fifteen, but it might end up like five to ten. So it's it's it might end up five to ten. It's basically I have it right behind Platoon and Annie Hall. And I have it right ahead of you sound. You really like Platoon more than this? And I have it right ahead. Would you watch Platoon? I have it right ahead of Sound of Music. Which you have much higher. Um, well, here's the part with Platoon is, is like, am I going to, on a Sunday afternoon, am I going to throw in the Departed? I'm going to throw in the Platoon. Of course I'm going to throw in the Departed. Of course I'm going to, you know, Annie Hall has some watchability. I, I think Annie Hall has way more watchability than you guys give it credit for. No, it has rewatchability. But yeah, when I compare it to, you know, Departed, Gladiator, um, yeah. Revenant, like serious movies. Yeah, but there's an element of kind of getting in and out of a movie too, though. And Annie Hall's 90 minutes... I'm gonna sit and sit and watch it, laugh a little bit, appreciate some good Gordon Willis camera work, uh, you know, some clever dialogue, and we're done. You know, Gladiator's an investment. Even the part it's a bit of an investment, you know. So I, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't think the edge on watchability is as wide a gap as you as you guys do with that one, you know. And but you're also like the Annie Hall. Uh, tone annoys you guys more than it yeah. I don't think that, yeah. I don't think Annie Hall right. rewatchable. And I, and I think like me and Grant get some humor out of it and we like the we like the wittiness we like the camera work we like the the, the techniques in there and and you know it's it's a watch for us i think oz is there too you and and chris for sure probably even joey too i think are a little less patient with with the movie i know adam adam uh, and like i don't hate stuff. annie hall but like yeah i don't love it but you know i'm looking at departed and i'm looking at sound of music and it's like do i let those two make the hop over Platoon and Annie Hall, which I consider important movies in the war and comedy genres. And Sound of Music is a movie that has gone up every time I've looked at it as far as the rankings go. I know you have it way, way, way up. Um, so I don't know. Departed has definitely done itself some favors this time around. I'll, I'll say that. I think it's well represented on, on our list as a whole, though. Oh, it is. Yeah. Like Grant loves it. I everyone, love it. Well, everyone like, has it higher than me. And I have it at like, I have it at like 12. I mean... That's pretty good. That projects to be, what, like 24 when it's all said and done? Maybe a little higher because it's less than 100 movies. So, you know, top 25. Unless more come out that are best. I mean, I don't think there's going to be many movies post-2000. You need 12 top 25 movies to come out in the next few years. I don't think there's going to be many post-2000 movies in my top 25. It's like I don't think there's going to be many others. It's that, that No Country for All Men, to me, are the two that best. As a candidate, Parasite's a candidate. Well... Artie, we've returned to the departed. We've survived. Your alcohol metabolism has has improved a bit over the years, or, or you've just learned how to pace yourself, or I don't know what. Uh, my doctor told me it's addiction. I don't know about <laughs> this. <laughs> oh, my God. I tried to drink less this time than 
my departed episode, which I did, quantity of beer wise, but <laughs> some ten percent wise, I'm on my third nine point one percenter. Tell the um, people I, I I stepped on you. I just said you've given you highlights. Yeah, what, you, what did you bring? So I brought uh, at the end. See, so I like that. Last time we did it at the very beginning. Now we're gonna do it at the very end. What did you have there? I had a hilarious mishap. So I thought I was bringing six six point brewery crisp pills that are 5.4 percent color of that can is blue the color of the resin anti-resin hazy ipa from the same brewery is also blue but that's nine (laughs) percent and i brought those instead so (laughs) but i I kept it together i kept it together for the episode fewer empty cans but we're still uh, we're still well on our way higher higher already by val by volume Artie, this was a trip, man. Going Dude. back in time, it was fun recording this little segment again. That was definitely brought back some vibes. I had fun. I, I the, the new technology Chaunce did is great. Chauncey was great. Chauncey was great. Chauncey Talese. We'll have his info in the uh, the description of the episode, so you can check him out. Follow him. Follow everything he's doing. Follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Letterboxd, at Best Picture Cast. We uh, love to hear from you. Please rate, review, go back, listen to the original Depart episode if you're done with this one. If you didn't already, just get, 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 you can see the evolution a little bit and, and have some fun with it. So, Artie, what's next? You don't know. Spotlight is coming out soon. We'll have Spotlight out. Spotlight airs soon. What are we recording next? Uh, what's the movie with me, you, Rock Camp, and... Uh, Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, I can't wait to do that. Yes. Yeah. Rob Bobcat will be making his return. Oz in the mix. The, the two of us, Oz and Rob Bobcat. Me and Rob Bobcat haven't been on an episode since Gangs... Uh, uh, Slumdog. No, since Slumdog, which is, I mean... Two and a half years ago. Yeah, a while ago. That was an early episode. The four of us will tackle Driving Miss Daisy. That'll be out early 2023. So you can look out for that one as we uh, as we climb to the end of season four. We're like halfway, more than halfway there already. I can't even process that. Yeah, so check out our episodes on Airheads on The Shining. Next week, we will be tackling another Best Picture winner. Another, another much maligned Best Picture winner is The Greatest Show on Earth. And we will also be doing a little special on It the following week. So Stephen King's It, we're going to do all things It, the 90s miniseries. Oh, you're going to do it? Oh, we're going to do it. We're going to Am do I it. on that one? Uh, no, you're not. Not for any not. parts of you it? You have about nine hours of, uh, if you want to be on it tomorrow, you got to watch about nine hours of footage. Oh, you record read a, tomorrow? Read a 1,200-page book. You, you able to do that in 24 hours? No. <laughs> so if you're, uh, you know, you want to catch up on anything it related you you the listener have a week to do it that and we have a bunch of good stuff coming up so leading into the end of the year we have a, a ton of content headed your way we appreciate your listenership we appreciate uh, you guys following along with us so if you've been here from day one the first uh, the first ever episode departed and you made it here today we appreciate you and if this is your first time uh, go back check out the back catalog and uh, we appreciate all, all your help marty anything uh, to, to, to leave us with here nothing to add to party love uh, love you guys I love you guys for listening for so long. Yes. Okay. Thank you. We will see you next time. I think what's our next revisited episode is Return to the Cuckoo's Nest. What's my my next Return episode? Gangs? uh, No, it's going to be... Like, are we doing Broadway Melody again? Broadway Melody. We're revisiting Broadway Melody? It's going to be fun. We're going to actually watch the movie and do an episode on it. I need Kalanapin. <laughs> Thank you so much. We will see you next time.
Oh, okay. Well, I'm done. <laughs> but like, what do we have no, left? To do? I need you to understand. I need you to understand. I want to talk one more time about the rewatchability, Mister French. I have a point I wanted to make. <laughs> uh, I know you want to play the music, but I want to comment on the music that you're playing. 